0: Tonight's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. As you know, having a high comedy IQ is important. I think David Spade, he's coming up here in a little bit. High comedy IQ. I've i have enjoyed it for uh, three decades and counting. Hey, when it comes to hiring, you don't need a high hiring IQ. You just need ZipRecruiter. So effective, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day, they send your job to over 100 of the, league, of the web's leading job boards, which is one click. They scan thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. They actively invite them to apply. My listeners to try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, SeatGeek is the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. We have a lot of sporting events coming up. NFL. College football, basketball is on the on the horizon, playoff baseball's coming, whole bunch of stuff. For $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event, use promo code BS. Download the Seakeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com and the Ringer Podcast Network, where if you're still have your fantasy draft coming, check out the Ringer NFL show. Uh, The Dynasty Football Podcast has you covered on fantasy. And by the way, the Ringer Dish podcast feed, which includes tea time and jam session and our Monday pod. Um, There's a lot of Taylor Swift stuff going on right now. We're going to talk about Nathan Hubbard in a little bit. But uh, on Ringer Dish, we have you covered with all the Taylor Swift discussions you've ever wanted. But uh, that's a good podcast. Subscribe to that when you have a chance. Coming up. We're going to talk a little bit about this uh, staggering Andrew Luck news. And then David Spade is coming on for the first time ever. And then at the tail end, my buddy Nathan Hubbard's gonna come on. We're gonna talk about this new Taylor Swift album because he has some, uh, some thoughts. So if you ever wanna hear two guys in their late 40s talk about uh, Taylor Swift, hold on tight. Uh, first, our friends from Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, we're taping this. It is Sunday morning. We had actually finished this podcast. And uh, as always with The Ringer, the biggest stories seem to happen on Saturday. Andrew Luck, out of nowhere, retiring from football. It happened, uh, it was nighttime uh, PT. And it was one of those sports stories where you think it's a joke. I saw the Schefter tweet. I thought for sure it was the person who pretends to be Adam Schefter. Do you know those weirdos out there that pretend to be Woj and Schefter? And then it started getting texts about it. And it had this sense of, wait a second, is this real? Where you just can't believe it. And I, I can only remember this happening a couple times in my life as a sports fan. I mean, the the most depressing version of this was when Magic announced that he had HIV, which happened. I was in college in 1991. And it was the same kind of reaction. Like, wait, this can't be real. Come on. Um, this is obviously a much happier story in the sense that he's just retiring from football, but same kind of five minutes of just utter confusion and thinking like, well, wait a second. He's only 29. He's only played seven years. What's going on here? Um, and watching, watching the reactions to this stories over the last 14, 15 hours, I thought was really, really telling in a lot of ways just for where we are as sports fans in 2019. But I, I guess the first question there's still some stuff we don't understand with this story. So, again, taping this Sunday 10:30 PT a.m. It's unclear how injured he was. And that seems to be a crucial missing piece of all of this because he packed it in, he he left the Colts, you know, 2 weeks before the season started, but it seems like this had been in the works for the last 10 days or so. And the explanation made sense to me. He was on this four-year treadmill, of just being hurt, recovering rehab, being hurt, recovering rehab, and his body wearing down and him just kind of losing his joy for football and the whole process, which we've seen happen before. But nobody's ever been able to pinpoint what the injury was this time, because it was obviously severe enough that he was like, fuck this, I'm not doing this again. But you know, we've heard calf, we've heard ankle. So I'm I'm assuming it was this injury that he would have just had to play in pain with for the entire season and rehab it and just not be 100%. Um, or it triggered something in his head where he was just like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Um, he, had, he did this article, with, interview with uh, Albert Breer a few weeks ago. And he said when he got hurt, and he missed the whole season when he had the torn labrum. He said, I put too much of my self-worth directly into how I was performing in the football field, and then I wasn't on the football field. I felt quite empty. It was very unhealthy, first for me, second for the relationship with my now wife and my other relationships. The result has been the best thing that ever could have happened to me. It forced me to look in the mirror and do a character assessment, address the things I didn't like, and then the things I did like, and then get on the same page with the people I love and respect. And then later he says in the same interview, I'm certainly challenging myself to be a better quarterback than I've ever been. If I lose that motivation, then I think it's time to not play. I don't see how it would be fun. So he at this point, you read a quote like that and you're like, ah, that's somebody who's not going to play till he's 42 like Tom Brady. You don't think he's just going to call quits when he's 29. But you think about in the 21st century, how much has changed about how we treat a story like this you know i was thinking about this last night when the video of the fans booing him at halftime at the colts game um which was another one of those wait is that real are they are they putting in fake booing sounds because they can't possibly be doing that they did it um it was pretty terrible and then even in the in the press conference he did afterwards, which was pretty abrupt. I don't think he had intended to announce this for at least until today or tomorrow, something like that. But he admitted like, yeah, that really hurt my feelings. And by the way, it should have. But you think about how the concept of being a sports fan has changed over these two decades specifically. So when I when I went to ESPN in 2001, one of the first columns I wrote for them, I really hated Roger Clements he had been my favorite Red Sox player and he put on some weight the last couple of years. He had a pretty up and down performance considering he was the highest paid guy in the team. And then the last couple of months in 96, he made like kind of a contract run and was great again. And he wasn't in great shape for him. He'd kind of let us down. He'd let us down in the playoffs. And this was just a different time when you, when you just looked at athletes solely based on, is this guy winning or losing for me? And that's it. You didn't think of them as people. You didn't think of them as um, having feelings like you did. They were just these props in this whole sports fan game that everybody was playing. And I wrote this column in 2001 because he went to Toronto. He got an awesome shape. He won two straight Cy Young Awards, which really, really bugged the Red Sox fans. And then he went to the Yankees, which was even worse. And we were like, fuck this guy. Um, in 2001, I think my second or third column for ESPN.com was called, Is Roger Clemens the Antichrist? And I laid out this whole case for just what a fucking asshole he was. And this is my feelings in 2001. Now, first of all, nobody would write a piece like this. He would just get crushed on Twitter for being too player unfriendly. But just in general, like we, we just think about these guys differently. And even if you think about 2010, LeBron's decision it was the same thing. He got rigged through the coals. People hated that Miami team. That first year, they were really sports's last villain. And it was all because Bosh and LeBron were like, you know what would be cool playing in Miami with Wade? And they did it. And now we wouldn't care. But in 2010, we cared because we treated sports differently back then. Um, we took it personally and we felt like the players should be loyal to the fans and to the teams they played for. And now we have seen a complete shift as this decade goes along. And it kind of culminated with this Andrew Luck story where he retires abruptly. He does it two weeks before the season. So he really puts his team, he really screws his team, let's be honest. I mean, I'm I'm not putting him down for it. It's his life, but his team got screwed by this. And I think 20 years ago, the narrative would have been, oh my God, can you believe he screwed the Colts like this? And now the narrative is, yeah, good for him, man. He got out. And I think that that's the narrative for two reasons. One, I think we just think differently about athletes in general. And I think we try to put ourselves in their shoes as much as we can. I think social media has really changed the equation. The I think we have just a better connection with these guys. I think it's generational too, because I think there's a lot of um, support the players, support the employers, corporations are evil, politicians are evil. So you have that tied in there too. It's not like anybody's gonna root for an NFL team owner over uh, a star football player, but when it's Jim Irsay versus Andrew Luck, guess who we're not rooting for? Jim Irsay. Guess who we're not feeling bad for? Jim Irsay, one of the worst owners we've had. So people look at this, Just from a human element, they look at it differently. And then from a football element, it's like, yeah, good for that dude, man. He got out. He's probably only, you know, probably had at least one concussion that we know about, but, you know, probably had six or seven more that we didn't know about. You look at the list of injuries he had. This dude's not even 30 yet. He's only played seven years. He had a torn labrum in his throwing shoulder, which made him think he almost was never going to play again and probably felt like his career was in jeopardy that whole year, tore cartilage and two ribs. He had a partially torn abdomen. He had a lacerated kidney where he literally urinated blood. And then he had this mystery calf ankle, whatever the hell's going on issue he has now, not to mention whatever, how many concussions he had. And you look at somebody like that, who's a really smart guy and you say, yeah, good for him. He got out, made some money, doesn't get to take a beating anymore. And we gloss over the fact that, yeah, he just completely screwed over his team because we just look at things differently now. And his team is kind of screwed because, especially because they, they let him keep all the money. So not only do they season starts in two weeks, they have to play backup, but from a salary cap standpoint, um, not great for them, but that's not the narrative anymore. And maybe it shouldn't be, but um. I was thinking, I was looking at some of the takes and this really has a has a chance to be the Super Bowl of take worse where you have everybody on one side and, and then the people who are kind of brazen enough to swim against the stream are all people that everybody kind of wants to jump on anyway. Like last night, the two people that were getting pummeled on Twitter, I couldn't help but look at Twitter last night. Doug Gottlieb... Um, he had he had some sort of tweet about uh, how this was a classic millennial move or something. And then OJ Simpson, who was mad that he had just taken Andrew Luck in his fantasy league. And people were furious and they're going nuts. And it's like, this is what social media has become. It's everybody just kind of prowling around like Charles Branson waiting for somebody to screw up. And then they get all upset about it. You're getting upset at Doug Gottlieb and OJ Simpson. What are you doing? Dan Dackett, she's another in Indiana, he said, uh, I have family working in steel mills, cops, teachers making far less, and this guy is, quote, tired, my backside. And then people get mad about that. It's like, what are we getting mad at? Why are we getting mad at 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 people who just say dumb shit? Don't worry about it. Move on. Who cares? This has become our country in 2019. Everybody just, just kind of on hold, wait, just Oh, please can somebody say something dumb i want I want to freak out. We talked about uh i did half baked ideas with Kevin Wilds on uh last Monday, and I had a half baked idea for a pandering uh fantasy league where it's just on social media you just pander and that, i mean we're this is the pandering playoffs right now this Andrew luck thing everybody just just going overboard to talk about how how great it is that you know he took control of his life and all that i I just think whatever, man. He retired. He's a football player. This this, this can mean something big picture, which I think the, from a big picture standpoint means what I just said. But you know, to, to get this emotional and upset about it, to get like furious at the Indianapolis fans, come on! Have you been to Indianapolis? This is <laughs> this is all they care about is the Colts. Of course, they were going to react badly. This is sports. People act badly. Um, so anyway, I, the whole saga, and I'm sure it's going to keep going. I just look forward to how bad the takes are going to get. And I'm sure, I'm sure things are going to escalate. And I'm sure on Monday you have these sports talk shows. Everybody's looking for their angle. The 20, the 24 seven, the radio hosts, uh, the talking head TV shows. There are going to be people that go really hard at Andrew Luck. And there are also going to be people really hoping and waiting for this so they can get really upset about it, because that's what we do now. I'd like to have a rational conversation about Andrew Luck for a second. I can't remember somebody's career where a guy was better, but the legacy he's going to leave, he never really had his one moment. You know, usually with quarterbacks, they have that one season and you go, oh, yeah, oh, that season, you know, like the Kurt Warner 99 season or like Brady 07, uh, the Drew Brees 09 season, pick three Manning seasons. Uh, all these guys, all the great ones, Rodgers when he went 15 and won that year, all the great ones have that one season where they just lay this back down. And I think from the time he was at Stanford, we felt Luck was that guy. He was so good that Peyton Manning who is one of the three or four greatest quarterbacks of all time, who brought Indianapolis to the Super Bowl, who's the most popular athlete in the history of Indianapolis or Indiana. He gets hurt. They get the number one pick and everyone in Indiana is cool with them just dumping Peyton Manning so they can have 15 years of Andrew Luck. They just kick Peyton Manning to the curb. Great. Oh, well now we have 30 years of a franchise QB. This is awesome. That's how good Andrew Luck was, you know? And, now I look at like what his stats were, 53 and 33 in the regular season. He was four and four in the playoffs. All four playoff losses were blowouts. He was 0 and 6 against the Patriots, got outscored 261 to 124. It was four regular season games, two playoff games. He never had a 12-win season. Um, his most fun year, I think, so in 2013, he had the one, he played in, Eight playoff games. The only really memorable one was to the the KC game, which was memorable for a hundred different reasons. I I had Indianapolis. I think they ended up pushing. They came back from twenty eight. That was the game where Jamal Charles got a concussion, and it was and they just wouldn't put him back in. And it was the first time where we I like, oh, concussions have completely changed everything. And then Luck orchestrated this awesome comeback against this decimated KC defense. He'd been in the league, I think two years at that point. And everybody's like, oh yeah, this guy's the next one. And it never really totally happened. Even for one year, 2014 was his best season through 4,716 yards, 40 TDs. They went 11 and five in a pretty weak division. They beat Cincy in round one. Congratulations. Everyone Beat Cincy. They beat Denver in round two. That was, uh, I think Peyton Manny noodle arm year. And then uh, got completely annihilated by the Patriots in the game that became the deflate game. And that was his one signature season. It's kind of a bummer. He never had the one, oh yeah, that was the luck season, which I think if you, when he was coming to the league, you would have bet any amount of money he was going to have a season like that. He was going to have his, you know, 09 Drew Brees season. Through 171 career capacities through his first 86 career NFL games, third most in NFL history, only Aaron Rodgers and Dan Marino had more. Um, was hitting all the checkpoints and seemed like somebody that um, the way he was built, big guy, seemed like somebody who could play until his late 30s at least. And if you're a Colts fan, you're thinking, we got 15 years out of Manning. Now we're moving into 20 years of luck because the game is different now and quarterbacks don't get hit as much. So here's the rub and, and people made this point last night and it's, it could not be a more essential point. It was something we used to talk about at Grantland. I remember Bill Barnwell wrote a big piece about it, 2015 maybe, about Ryan Grigson, the GM for the Colts, who just completely fucked luck. Comes into a situation where they tanked the season. Luck's first rookie, first year, 2012, they had all this dead cap money because they had basically done this two-year plan of rebuilding the Colts around this franchise QB that they stumble into because Peyton Manny got hurt. They had a really good 2012 draft. And then it's a shit show. 2013, 14, 15, they com- not only do they completely squander... The rarest opportunity you have as an NFL team when you have a franchise quarterback and a rookie contract. It's like literally unfuck upable and they fucked it up. They uh they had all this pay, all these picks and all this cap space in 13, 14, and 15. And they just botched them. You know, people everybody remembers the Trent Richardson trade, which was awful. Um, I I killed it at the time. Um but had no idea it was going to be that bad. Now they only gave up, I think it was like the 26th pick, but it was just such a mis of him. But if you look at their 2014 and 15 drafts, it's an absolute shit show. They just, they whiffed both years. They they whiffed, they traded a first round pick for, for Richardson. They whiffed on, they took three offensive linemen, all of them sucked. They took Philip Dorsett first, they ended up having to trade him for Jacoby Brissett. It's a shit show. And, What made it worse was they didn't draft an offensive line. So Luck is getting the absolute tar kicked out of him. Warren Sharp tweeted last night that under Ryan Grigson's watch, Luck was pressured 16 times a game, most in the NFL, and was hit most of any QB. I think any rational person takes over the Colts and says to themselves, you know what we should do is get an offensive line for Andrew Luck. That might be a good idea. Let's do that. And instead they just they didn't care. What's funny is there's a sports illustrated piece from 2015 about Ryan Grigson. And it makes it seem like he's, you know, the next Jerry West. And he had, he had some classic quotes. There's one part Grigson thinks of his roster as a bonsai tree. And then he says, quote, I'm constantly pruning it. You're pruning it. All right. You completely screwed the Colts. There's another quote to Grigson. Scouting is not just a skill. It's a state of mind. And it doesn't stop when the film does, uh, you squandered the Andrew Luck dynasty? You suck. Then he's, there's another quote. We have a mindset where we want to build a dynasty because we have the QB to do it. Well, you had you he had the shit beat out of him. He retired when he was 29. So congratulations on that. Um shocking night. I I think one of the problems with the under 30 sports fans is they tend to assume that anytime something happens like this, it's the first time it ever happened. And you could see that in some of the tweets. Um this has happened before, not just Magic Johnson, I mentioned earlier, who had a, you know, a different reason to do this. But Jim Brown, I think in the 60s, people were absolutely flabbergasted that he walked away to become an actor. Bjorn Borg, who was the best tennis player of my childhood, and we just assumed he'd be playing until he was 35. He just left. Barry Sanders, that was another one. Calvin Johnson. So this has happened. And I think with football, it's going to happen more and more and more. And more and more. Um, Got a few few emails and tweets about uh, what the Ewing theory potential is here with Andrew Luck. (sighs) It's a good question. I mean, they never really won anything with him. They made one AFC title game and they got lost by 38 points. I personally think that this is going to ruin their next couple seasons. But I do have the Ewing Theory Committee on high alert to wonder maybe who knows how this happens. Uh, One other thing. I think the most stunning fantasy football-related moment of all time was when Tom Brady blew out his ACL eight minutes into the 2008 season. Because at that point, sorry, Kyle, I I should have given you a warning on that. Uh, Because when that happened, you know, he was a first-rounder. You spent $40 on him. And it just you see, not only was the Patriots season over, but everybody who had them on a fantasy season was over. This one was was crazy because I think people, a lot of people have had their drafts already. And Luck was like a top five guy. So um, so yeah, if if there are other most stunning fantasy moments of all time, um, send those along. The mailbag at the ringer.com. And then I have to mention the Patriots angle here. Luck never beat them. He was 0 6 against the lifetime. Brady, many people have made this point, but it's just, I, I wonder what the odds were in 2012. Brady outlasted Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. If you had said to me in 2012, all right, here comes Andrew Luck, I'll give you 20 to 1 odds that Tom Brady is still playing when Andrew Luck retires. I would have been like, <laughs> uh, I need better odds. I need like 200 to one. Tom Brady is still here at age 42, but this goes back to the love of football. All Tom Brady wants to do is be good at football and play football. And that's what he derives his joy from. He has his family side. And it seems like he's been, he's figured out how to balance it. But ultimately, every decision that dude makes is driven by, I want to play until I'm 45. This is, I'm obsessed with this. This is all I care about. And you read the Andrew Luck stuff and it's like, yeah, this is football is just something I did. And, you know, he's somebody that maybe he's going to be the NFL commissioner in 10 years. He's a really smart guy. Um, I think he'll probably travel the world. Who knows? Maybe he'll announce, but have really high hopes for his post-NFL career. But the point is everybody's wired differently. And Tom Brady really does want to, to play until he's 45. I don't know when Andrew Luck decided, eh, I could be good retired before thirty, but it it had to he had to have started at least thinking about it in two thousand and seventeen um I do wonder the Josh McDaniel's thing I do wonder about with this where it seemed like he was going to take the Colts job and something happened. We've never totally found out what happened, and we he definitely talked to luck during that whole time, and I wonder um. Did he he hear something he didn't like? Was there information passed along that made him think like, man, I don't know if this guy wants to be playing four years from now. I always thought he thought Luck was more injured than he was, but obviously not because Luck was really good last year. So he he saw something in there. Anyway, uh, as I'm doing this podcast, there's a tweet. I'm telling you, we're headed toward... This is going to be the Super Bowl of of, of takes. Don Don Van Natta tweeted just now if this was a Hollywood movie, Andrew Luck would suddenly change his mind and play after a kindly angel, let Colin Kaepernick secretly inhabit Luck's injury rind old body and win the Super Bowl for the Colts unknowing fans. Quote Once upon a time in Indy. I don't even know what that means. I really look forward to the next <laughs> five days it takes. Um we should mention i guess the uh the Super Bowl ads really quickly. I can't find six a f c playoff teams, so we're gonna talk about this with Sal. Sal's coming in we're doing a f c over unders in a couple of days, and I've really started to do my homework. I've already mentioned how much uh, I like the Steelers as you know a uh Ewing theory team slash um just, I th- I think people are counting them out too early. The infrastructure of that team is pretty strong. Right now, the AFC odds, KC is plus 350. Pats are plus 350. Just for the record, I'm personally insulted. The Pats don't have the best days. Kyle, how many Super Bowls do we have to win? Seven. It's, we already beat the Chiefs. I know. How dare they? Well, you guys are dumb. The Pats should be the favorites. Cleveland has started at plus 650. Steelers are eight to one. Chargers are nine to one. And the Texans are fifteen to one. The Texans just spent the last few days, according to Mike Lombardi, trying shopping a uh, clowny around because they need a left tackle desperately. You Baltimore there at twenty to one, Denver at thirty-five to one, Colts are now thirty-five to one, Tennessee thirty-five to one, Jets forty to one, Raiders fifty to one, Bills sixty to one, Bengals. to and the Dolphins are 150-1. You can cross (laughs) off those last couple. That's all odds to win the AFC Championship. At gunpoint, the only three teams I feel comfortable about that I just mentioned are the Chiefs, the Patriots, and the Steelers. I know the Browns, they're getting a ton of hype. Look, man, we don't know anything about their coach. We don't know anything about their offensive line. We and we have no indication that they're gonna handle being a signature team well at all. I don't think they're a sure thing in the least. Chargers, Gordon, who knows when he comes back. Little Justin Jackson fantasy sleeper for you, Kyle. Dude, I got a draft in five minutes. I'm gonna put him on the queue. Yeah, I gotta wrap this up. Kyle's got a draft. Don't take Andrew Luck. I'm not gonna. Um the Texans, ugh. The Jaguars? Nick Foles, he's already sold his soul for a Super Bowl. He's going to win 10 games with the Jaguars. I don't know. I don't know where we're finding six AFC title teams. And I thought the Colts might have a chance to, uh, to be one of them. But anyway, so keep an eye on all the takes over the next couple of days and keep an eye on the big picture narrative here, which I think is going to be a generational thing with, um, (laughs) you watch what happens, um, Good luck to Andrew Luck. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna bring Andrew the Giant back one last time when we do AFC over unders, and then he's gonna retire as well. I know it's I know it's gonna be emotional for all the BS podcast listeners, and uh, and that's it. Um, Colts fans, you know I've never liked you. Booing Andrew Luck was terrible. Um, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and and. And try to understand why you thought that was a good idea. Sports, we all get been out of shape. I'm the same guy who wrote the Roger Clemens is the Antichrist column in 2001, but in 2019, man, that was that was a tough look. You're going to have to really make up for that one. Like, and Andrew Luck says he's going to live in Indianapolis. I think that you might have single-handedly swayed him. Come come to California, Andrew Luck. Um, all right, coming up we are going to have David Spade for the first time ever. First, I wanted to mention Luminary, um, a new podcast subscription with some of the best content around, including our podcast, Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 1999, which was fantastic. Stephen Hyden did it along with our Ringer staff. And I was really proud of this one. It was the first like really, really monster narrative podcast that we did, that we did. And um, oh, I guess the second one, cause the Halloween one, I guess was the first one, but, um, you can get it on Luminary. You can also get the rewatchables, 19.99 when it comes back, which it, I think it's coming back this month. Actually, we got six more movies to go. The Luminary app free to download. In addition to the can't miss originals, use it to listen to thousands of podcasts, including this one, two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free. When you sign up at luminary.link slash Simmons, after that, it's only $7.99 per month. Luminary. link slash Simmons. Two months of free access. Cancel anytime. Terms do apply. All right. Here's David Spade. We taped this on Friday afternoon. All right, we're taping this on a Friday. I'm not sure when it's running. David Spade is here. We've somehow I've never done this. You have a new show. Common I've never Central. done this with you. Yeah, you've never yeah. done this. You've done lots of podcasts though. I haven't done that many. Really? Yeah. Are you picky? I've probably done about three. Yeah. Three? Yeah. Oh, I would have assumed you would have been on like a, a slew of them.
1: I know, but I just try to get out of it because You don't like it. Well, like they go, We got it to where you could you'll only be doing an hour? I go, Fuck, I'm on Ellen I do like fourteen I'm winded. <laughs> I go, an hour of me blabbing about stupid stuff. But I go to the comedy store and it's like jury duty. Like everyone you see, Hey, can you drive to the valley, do it in my mom's laundry room? Just come by whenever in the summer Please. when it's boiling.
0: Um you know, we just sit there for four or five hours shoot the shit
1: and I go sounds horrible
0: so you so you have the strategy of you're just a blanket no people know I don't know I mean I don't want to be a, yeah you know you don't want to play strategy. too good you just go I
1: only have X amount of stories and then and then what I found is I went on one uh, about two years ago and then they were like dissecting it to see what stories they could put out to the press to get picked up and I go oh okay I mean it's all biz it's all work I get it
0: um, we don't do that here well, we just put, like, we put the podcast out and people want to write stories about listen, something. Yours knock, is like a legit out. guy that's doing a legit show that's
1: been Thank doing it. in a while, but you know now it's getting to be mandatory. <laughs> where yeah. my friends and stuff that just go, hey, I like to talk. I lay around all day, throw it up on some comedy network, and you know let's see what the fuck happens. And some are good. Theo Vaughn is a funny guy. I didn't yeah. know about him, but then I started hearing about him and. I've probably listened to approximately zero. Yeah. I listen to Colin Coward sometimes on a, an app because I have Sirius. And then I hear Rich Eyes on there and Dan Patrick because uh, tying sports in. Uh, yeah, but you're a closet
0: sports fan, though. I do like you sports. You don't advertise it, but you,
1: yeah, I do know that I'm about like you. a basic asshole. You're aware. That, like, talks about sports. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like it. I'm in fantasy football. I watch uh, the Cardinals. I watch, I try to root for Arizona. I'm from Scottsdale, but. It's never quite in the mix. Yeah. After Kurt Warner. When yeah, he, they had like
0: one glory year. Or- when
1: he took that hit on that freebie play, I was like, I I hated that so much because he was like, I don't know if I'm gonna retire, and he goes, you know what, I'm retiring. <laughs> Fuck this. Like that guy that was you know sports, that was a little unfair, right? I mean it was yeah. fair, but it was like, do you really need to end his career and just say they love getting a QB when they get a shot, I guess.
0: Arizona is such a weird sports city because Phoenix, Scottsdale, and Glendale are all nowhere near each other.
1: They're all, yeah. And, and you don't realize that until totally you go to like places. a Super
0: Bowl or you go to, the. And it's like, oh, I'm here. I'm staying over there. And it's like, oh, that's really far away.
1: Yeah, I mean, when they did the Super Bowl there. It wasn't close to anything. No, for once, I was onto it because, you know, like Super Bowls in Dallas, you're like, oh, there's a freaking Maxim party over here. There's a Sports Illustrated party. You just get in the car, and suddenly 40 minutes later, you go, What the fucks? Where am I? Am am I still driving? And that's Arizona. I once got ahead of it because they showed me where the parties were. And I go, "Um, these are nowhere in the vicinity of each other. Like, one's in Scottsdale, one's in Glendale. There was some Rihanna party, I remember, that was at Glendale.
0: I think where they have the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah. And that was, I picked the wrong one. You know, you go, where's everyone going? If you pick
0: the wrong one, there's no coming back. Oh, no. Because you're you're an hour away from the next one. I was at this Aerosmith one, which is fine, but. They're all bad.
1: Believe me, it's just all a clusterfuck. Of, One of the I sound words. I sound like I'm being negative, but you know, I'm not. I'm not super tall. I'm in there just getting smashed. I went to the Rolling Stones last night. By the way, the Rose
0: Bowl, forget it. You went to the Rolling Stones last night? Yeah.
1: That's what was that like? like? Shit. That's
0: another reason I look Are like they shit. Are they how are they moving these days? A little creaky.
1: But okay. I tell you, when I left and I was going up those stairs, they were like, "Oh, someone here is older than Mick Jagger." <laughs> I was like, "E WD forty on my knees. Pfft, pfft. Uh,
0: uh, I couldn't get out of there fast enough. But the Rose Bowl? Are you from here? No, I'm from back east, but oh, I've lived are. here since 02. so I'm so familiar you know, with a all little this bit. Stuff. Like the Rose Bowl is a giant clusterfuck. Hey, it's far. Yeah. They shouldn't even have a swap meet there. Like everything, I hate
1: it already. Was, it was basically a swap meet mixed with the purge. And then they just threw a band up because (laughs) I couldn't even get to my seats. It was five songs when I got in, so I got to my seats. I'm just walking going, what's happening? And then I was Mickey Mouse because everyone knew me. And I, spadoodle, just like wet sham wow handshakes. Because when they're drunk, (laughs) no one cares. They're just like on you. And then I finally get to close to my seats, taking my coat off. You were right. I know. I did a good five minutes. And I get. I get to my seats, but it's so jam-packed that they don't keep people out of the hallways. You know what I mean? Out of the aisle. So I bought aisle seats on purpose so you can see a little better and you're not so... You got elbow room. Meanwhile, first problem, can't even get there. I finally get to my row. People in my seats are incensed. I want my seats. Yeah. They look at me like they're squatters. They're like, what? I'm like, are you... He's like, what seat are you? I go, well, it's for sure not you. So it's probably me because I have the tickets. And he's like... All right. And then I've got to get, like, an injunction to get him out. Because no yeah. one's just, like, jumping out. They're like, oh, I don't
0: know, dude. So it's, I'm missing a
1: whole that song. That is an
0: interesting move when the person who doesn't have the seat is litigating with the person who actually is holding the ticket? Yeah, the somebody. one
1: standing blocking
0: everyone. It's me. not like he doesn't know. It's not. And then a girl see, walked by me and she goes, hey, fuck you. Because I was standing there. I go.
1: And then I scream all this horrible stuff at her. And she goes, oh, you think you're special? And I go, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not special. But she bumped me. And then yelled, fuck you to me. Don't, don't do both. Pick one. It's your fault. You rammed into me. I'm just trying to get my own seats. And then now, because there's people, there was this like Jimmy Buffett burnout, like thinking I'm so stoked he's standing. And I'm like, you know, he jams next to me. And he starts inching in the aisle with me into my row. And I go, there's some shit I won't eat. That's what my dad used to tell me. Yeah, I eat shit all day. But inching into my row and you don't have a seat and you're standing in the aisle –
0: and he's like eh. so you
1: had to do like the shoulder yeah and I go I'm gonna get in
0: a fight I will lose is that sure. good or bad for you if you get in a fight at a Rolling Stones concert it's a, it in wasn't a bad sp- mm. 79 that's yeah. a great story 2019 it's
1: rough one of my one of my things I was thinking is it was packed to the gills and I go I can't believe that you know what happens I saw him in 81 yeah and I go this is their last concert this is what everyone says every time yeah. they're never going out again this is it and they were only probably 45 years old, but that was old to me. So I go, they're 45. They can't keep doing this. So we all went. And then like a couple years later, I go, well, this is it. So everyone goes. And now they look a little bit, and it sounds mean, like the Muppets. Even <laughs> Charlie Watt, I think he had his teeth removed. He doesn't need them. But... Oh, no. <laughs> and he's like this. Mm, he just gums. Yeah. And I go, mm, something's off. But Keith didn't have his bandana on, and he looks a little bit like a crow. But like, obviously a crow gets more you know what than anybody. Yeah. But and Mick was fine. <laughs> Took a hundred hour energy to get through the first three songs. Yeah. He was popping around. It was that part was fine. I have no
0: problem with them. It was the whole shit show that is the Rose Bowl. I thought I like the analogy that it's like the perch, but it I was. saw the Stones in eighty nine. I drove like four hours to the Meadowlands from college with the okay. same mindset of like, well this is gonna be it. It's like, they're be gonna it. And then I remember five years later, they were on a 90210 episode. And the whole episode, <laughs> the whole episode was built around them going to a Rolling Stone show. And it yeah. was like, oh, man, this is sad for the Stones. This will probably be it. Like, yeah being the 90210 they're prop. They're fading out. Yeah. And that's 25 years later. Still, They're selling out the Rose Bowl. I said that about Snoop Dogg. He's like with
1: Martha Stewart. I go, this is it for this guy. And then everyone's like, he's got more street cred. I go, how is he going the other way? Like, he does every
0: possible sellout thing, and he's even cooler. Yeah, so and it he, just adds up. He's extra cool, I guess, because it— Yeah, when you were doing like Hollywood Minute in the mid '90s, -hmm. if you did the Stones are old joke, you probably you would have told the writer to like take that out because that in the mid '90s that was a cliché joke. Oh, yeah, too. Yeah, I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, the Stones joke—that's an easy joke. Nobody made that. Well, and now my
1: share of easy jokes, but there was a bigger problem back then. Was if I do a joke that people, it was on the verge of people sort of thinking what they're thinking, but I wasn't. They weren't there yet. I did want to watch Jim Carrey, who I, I love. Yeah, and uh, and they booed me, and I was like, okay, well, at least it's too early for this that. This was one. Hollywood Minute. Yeah, that you was did- a rehearsal.
0: The so, first couple Hollywood so Minutes, the crowd out. doesn't know. They didn't really totally know what to do with. They the don't get, with yeah, they don't get what's
1: going on. It's, it's it's a stranger me, who they don't know, and I'm just sort of making fun of. Oh, you know, I this is in the era of Pe- People Magazine. There was no even Entertainment Weekly. So it's just fawning over
0: stuff. I would watch an entire documentary about the Hollywood movie <laughs> because this is f- six years before the internet is rounded into shape, Yeah, and it's just me and my friends making jokes in college, but we're not seeing them on TV in any form. Oh, and you and could then relate then you to that. And you come on, yeah. and we're like, who's this guy? And Dennis Miller's selling the shit out of you or yeah. so I was like, all right, well, he might—and then you're doing these really mean jokes, and we're like— this is amazing. How oh, is this like, on television? Yeah, that's good. But now they're, it's like... They, they, you you know, related to it. Yeah, it's like, Ten yeah. years later, that became the internet. But in and 1991, it nobody was doing Weekly
1: that. was like snarky. And I was like, oh, now they're now they're catching on. Like, it's not just fawning. And... Uh, but it was all... By the way, I I liked... I still do. I make fun of everybody. But I like 99% of the people. It's just like... Even on the new show, we... I, I sort of take it as... If if they do something stupid or screw up or it's just they're in there, and you get one free shot, and then if you keep pounding them, then it's not cool. But you get yeah. one freebie, and I think everyone knows that.
0: Well, you've also you've been around long enough now that you're in kind of that that zone. Yeah, like, yeah. Where I'm in people the mix. they get they get what you do. They know it's not personal, sure. and you make fun of everybody. Every, it's right. equal opportunity teasing,
1: and they make fun of me, and I hate it. But <laughs> I do personally. hate it. I don't. Yeah, I, I <laughs> drop all the rules. I go, wait, what the fuck's going on? Hey, wait. But, yeah, because I don't want to, I don't like to take it this way. But,
0: you know. Uh, how did you sell Lorne Michaels on even doing that idea? Because he was so celebrity friendly, and that was right during his time when he really started to a little star fucker. <laughs>
1: Sometimes he would say it. Uh, I'd read it, read through, and I would sit the way the placement was. You might have seen photos. It's like Lorne at the top. Yeah. In a long table. So the first, it's Lorne, and to his right is a host. The host. Then it's me. And then it's like, blah, blah, blah. Farley was down here. Sandler was over there. Rock was sort of closer to me up here. And, and then the next layer is writers. And then it's all crew. Anyone has to do anything with graphics, like a set design when they read a sketch. Okay, we're going to need this. Everyone's just trying to get ahead of it. Yeah. 45 sketches, you know, nine get on the show. So you're reading them. But when I would read Hollywood Minute, sometimes like a Paul Simon joke would be in there or something. And he'd go, I don't think you need it. Maybe next week. I don't think. Feels like it's just a little bit off. Like I go, okay,
0: that was code. <laughs> so you would you put stuff in knowing that he would be mad because then you could get the uh, other oh, stuff in. Not, that, that was my ESPN pancom trick. That someone said that yesterday. You put
1: us. You, you put, put, put three extra jokes fuck, in. Yeah. Yeah. So they go, you, okay, took that out. Yeah. Come on, man. I wasn't that smart. I was just treading water. You know, Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. Uh he's pretty much the one that gave me the idea because we were at the writer's room waiting for the meeting to start and I was reading magazines and just shitting on them out loud. Yeah. Just making fun of everyone on every page. Like it was like a roast, you know. So you're like that guy. He goes, Why don't you do something like that? He goes, Nobody's doing that. And I go, It's a little rough. He goes, Yeah, sure. So we tried to figure out how to do it as a sketch or this turned into that, and uh and then Lauren liked it. I don't know why I learned, liked it right away. And I was on the verge of getting fired every year. I was only Rob Schneider done cop machine. We were feature players. Yeah. And we were buddies. And then he blew by me in a rocket ship. Once he got cop machine, they made him a cast member. And we came back from the summer. He was a cast member. And they kept telling my manager, I don't know if we're going to keep him. We'll let him come back as a feature player again. So not only am I, I'm not, I was in no Ezekiel Elliott. I was just – I had no power. I was just saying – they kept telling me, well, you're just lucky to be there. So forget asking you're for like more You're like the special teams guy. More money, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was just, I was like – I was on the practice squad, basically, just getting paid to hang around, and hopefully they'd throw me in. And then that was like two and a half years of that. Then I get Hollywood Minute, and Lauren goes, maybe – like, and it was pretty funny. And then the Monday meeting after, we're all there. I'm getting ignored. And then they go – he goes, David, maybe Hollywood Minute this week? I go,
2: huh, me?
1: I go, fuck you. And then I did it, and then like two weeks later, another one maybe? He goes, I think that's your voice. I think that's good for you. I go, yeah. Because I turned into be kind of like a Bill Murray-ish. I wouldn't say that with a lot of padding around it, meaning he's the prototype for someone I would look up to and say he's always kind of himself in his parts, and he doesn't really disappear so I looked up to that to say I guess that's more what I am only because I'm not De Niro like Dana doing 90 characters you know I would do characters stuff, but it was Lauren was like "Mm." yeah he didn't love it he would say just play yourself and you know it's not really the show to just play yourself so I got a lot out of SNL more than I probably should have because Adam was great at doing characters Rob was doing stuff they all do voices and they love that stuff yeah and Farley, you could throw him in anything, and you know Phil Hartman. Everyone was just like disappeared. Dana Carvey, Dennis just did the news, and then he slowly just faded out of sketches. And I sort of
0: played myself most of the time. And when when you started getting that like update was pretty static. It didn't have it didn't become what it became, which was just a bunch of people coming in. Yeah, because they always in. had that. A Whitney Brown guy was there for a yeah. while, and <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> um, yeah, and
1: so you mean it was a little like. It was a lot of Dennis Miller, maybe, but there wasn't a lot of room to like test people. Once you found, once we got that, that was a place to go for the kill. Yeah, because the sketches are too competitive. Try to sneak on update if everyone's busy, because they probably will use one feature on update. Yeah, and every read through there's probably three or four, and then they go to dress with maybe two, and then one gets on, so it's tough. I'd well, go, I'd go in Sandler's office and I'd would write an update. And I walk by his office, I see him pull out a guitar, and I go, "Oh no! Oh no. Jesus, I'm dead! I'm dead!" He's it's too good. He's gonna go crush it. So I'd go, hey, "Is that a sketch? <laughs> <laughs> that's for a ske-
0: sketch, please." Uh, so, I mean, that's Howdy Murphy when he had uh, I think it was Raheem Abdul Muhammad or whatever that that was how he broke through. Oh, because they didn't use him for like ten episodes. Oh, so and then yeah. he was on update and got in. If you get
1: through that, or you could do a character. And then bring it into a sketch. Maybe yeah. he, if he did something like Gumby there, no, he didn't. Yeah, he. You could do that, and then it, people like it. And then you
0: break it into a sketch. And then I, it was like that last couple years of Miller. They figured out, oh, this is weekend update. Yeah, it's a good you hot. Do spot. this, but then this is a good way to bring the yeah, people instead of in. just
1: straight news, bring in people. What was
0: your first year there?
1: Eighty nine. No ninety. Easy. Uh, I think ninety
0: ninety one. Yeah. So That's that enough. I mean that was like the. But that was like the most loaded cast year they had. I it mean, was those pretty, two years. It was it was like the previous generation yeah. leaving and mm. the new generation coming.
1: Dana hung out. A l- I was there to replace Dana and he didn't leave. So I just was sort of nowhere'sville, you know, no man's land. And then if someone came on the show, even though we were feature players, if it looked like Sandler, like, don't you forget about the macho man. Right. You know right. Then Sandler would do it. And then if it looked like me, Dana would do it. So. If it looked like Schneider, he would do it. But I didn't, it was hard for me to get in there because Dana was just great. So I can't even, you know, compete with that. So I just wait and then Dana stayed another year, another year, and I'm like, ah, not his fault. He's trying to just stay out as long as he can and kill it. I just was just going, I don't know what to do with me. And then when he left, combined Hollywood Minute, got me in more, got on Gap Girls. got a few bits in. Yeah. And then just milked as much as I could and then, then, you know, Farley and Sandler left the same year. Uh, and I think Will Ferrell came. He was great. I knew right away. I'm like, oh, this guy's great. Yeah,
0: you were on that first season. Yeah. You? you
1: were doing the, uh, what
0: was it? I was Demon's doing my own little chunk, you yeah. Your-
1: and then that was hard. To f- that was hard because I just had one writer. just me and a guy trying to figure out what to do every week in five minutes. You had a couple, a couple one ones good. that
0: stood the tight. Because you had Aniston like at the I peak had Aniston, of her yeah. Rachelness. And yeah. You had- Terry Hatcher, Terry, Hatcher at the peak Hatcher. Of her.
1: We, Terry we had Terry Snatcher. We had Sean Penn. Give me you a Sean tattoo. Penn tattoo. Yeah. That was
0: a good one. I think he's coming on the show to do another one. How did you? I remember when that one happened. I was like, at that point, we just thought Sean Penn was the psychopath who just yeah. walked around and punched photographers. Yeah, that he's getting a tattoo with you. I'm like, what's going on? That How did he unlock bit. Sean yeah. Penn?
1: I was at a party with Lauren in LA. David, want to come with? <laughs> and uh, I think Lovitz was there. Hello. And then Lovitz was talking to Sean, and then I got to meet him just by standing, like, in the same little circle. I didn't really talk to him. And then when I went back to SNL, of course, I was out of ideas. And then I read in the paper that Sean was on Letterman that week. So I go, Lovitz, will you ask him if he'll – he was mentioning he did a tattoo on a potato or something. Yeah. I said, ask him if he can do it. And and he goes, you ask him. I'll give you his number. Don't say you got it from me. So I just left a He'll message me. to Sean. Yeah, everyone scared him.
0: Yeah. So
1: I left a message. I said, hey, I met you that thing. If you want to come, do this thing. And then he called back. Yeah, okay. And then I got scared. I go, oh, am I doing this? I got to get a tattoo. What I mean, was the tattoo? I forget. It's so dumb. I, well, I had, we called Steven Tyler to get his uh, on his arm because I liked it. And yeah. then if I have to get one, this one's pretty cool. Yeah. So I brought it down. It's illegal for Sean to give me one because he's not licensed, so he had to go outside of Manhattan. and Then he got lost in the car I sent for him. So he stopped to drink and then came in. I wasn't allowed to drink. And I was nervous just even to see him, just all of it. And then he came in, and uh, he was very cool. He's been so cool since. I didn't know what to make of him. But the guy goes, oh, he can't do this. So we had to go in the newspaper and just pick the, the most basic thing he could do. Or pull the plug. Oh, so he was like a very, very primitive potato person or tattoo person. Yeah. So the guy goes, if you haven't done it, just we'll just do this little outline. It was Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. It was that. Yeah. So dumb. Yeah. So he goes, he can just barely do that. And I go, sure. It's like jackass. I go, sure. Just give me a tattoo of whatever. It'll be a joke that goes on forever. It's a great story, though. It's a good story. So I go, it'll be worth it, I hope. So I interviewed him. And then the, the needle was noisy. So the sound guy I means like, I don't know. I go, just go. We'll figure it out later. We're we'll already. Dub here. Everything yeah. in Chinese. I just gotta get something out of this week. And then I walked around the tattoo shop, and made fun of tattoos to kill time until he got there. And then we did it, and I just basically read jokes to him and uh made fun of him and he would look up now and then and he just played it
0: cool. That was my favorite part of that because I Really never seen him laugh ever in mm-hmm. fifteen years. And it seemed like making Sean Penn laugh was probably the single hardest thing to do.
1: That it was of, it was huge. Any for me, human yeah.
0: task. So even seeing like the side of his mouth curl up is a whoa. Yeah, he's like smoking, and then he goes
1: mm. <laughs> Then you look at me like uh. uh because, you know, we I knew him from, well, spicoli and all those things. I know oh, that yeah. dude, you know. And he was so funny and then he goes right into like really I think he was doing casualties of war then. Remember that one with Michael J. Fox? Where he was like, "Hey, Sarge, you're <laughs> just a farm girl, Sarge. Uh Christ Mallory." <laughs> and Sean was like, "We're gonna get some VC goo cores." That movie was nuts. You, did, you remember
0: that? You did Michael J. Fox. What was that? A Family Ties thing? You did that yeah, on the show. Yeah,
1: was the uh, it was one of one of your bad child ones. stars? Bank robbery or something? Yeah, and it was all, they all went bad.
0: So the, SNL had that stretch. I obviously a child of pop culture like yeah. you where we all had 11 channels and we're all watching the same yeah. 19 shows. Sure. And then all of those people grew up and ended up on SNL. And anytime they would do like Partridge Family versus yeah. Brady Bunch or something, I was like, this is it's this perfect is for me.
1: If someone told me that makes sense. Maybe it was Lauren that uh, everybody's favorite SNL seasons were in high school. When they were in high school. Right. Because that's when you stayed home and you had to be home at a certain point and you'd watch it and that was like getting away with something because it was dirty. And then in college, you're so fucked up, you don't even watch really as much anymore. And then after that, you're just...
0: We were taping it. We had I had I uh, I don't know how... I guess the last two years, we had um, a VHS thingy, VCR.
1: Yeah. So we would oh, tape okay. them
0: and watch them on Sundays. And if you missed it, like, let's say... I did a, the
1: music was amazing, yeah, too. Like, fucking great.
0: Nirvana and people like the Pearl Jam. Oh. It was all the best people that were playing back I then. I was such were a star on.
1: fucker, too, because, you know, we have a dinner break on Saturday before the show. Five thirty 30 to 6 30 and there's like a little tiny cafeteria where you can eat stuff yeah so you can eat or watch the music the rehearsal and yeah. so i would usually do the first half watch the music and then just go eat but then they would come eat so i sat with nirvana both times they were there and uh just sort of kissed their ass talked to them they were blowing up but it was you know it's not like legendary like
0: it is now but i remember I was- the second time they were on it it was significant. Yeah. The first time it was like, oh, they're having these guys on. Cool. Second time I was like, whoa, it was
1: so big. Yeah. They're back. And even when uh, the second time Pearl Jam was on, I was saying, you guys should do a live. And they were like, we did last time. Dumb shit. I go, oh, you did? <laughs> I wasn't really paying attention <laughs> because I didn't know who they were the first time. Yeah. They were always getting. They massed. were early that time. Yeah, because one week we'd have Hot House Flowers and then they wouldn't blow up. You know, they were trying to gamble. They'd get get on someone early. Like Nirvana or Pearl Jam. So you have to book them, make sure you're really rolling the dice, they're going to blow up.
0: My favorite ever, and I've written about this because there's no copies online, was the Crash Test Dummies were on. Oh, but, yeah. And they sang that song. Yeah. But the guy is like, I don't know what's going on with him, whether he was like had severe stage fright or he was just zonked out or whatever. And he's just making these crazy faces the whole time. And it was on the internet for like, Oh, and they did they Two did they weeks, rerun it and then it's gone. Now, so I've been just dying for Once that to reappear. there was a but he's like, <laughs> who, Maybe <laughs> right. he had some sort of, like, Tourette's or something. I don't know, but he keeps, like, kind of nodding at his bands and having these weird... It's was the strangest fire I, I think it was. I think it was when I was there. Was, well, they had, like... When else would they have been on? It would have been, like, 93, 94. It is the hey. weirdest performance oh, of all I time. I don't
1: remember. I remember but, we yeah. had a couple that... You know, Sinead O'Connor ripping up the folk picture, and uh, there was... That was weird.
0: I mean... Watching that one live, it just seemed like there was technical difficulties or something. You didn't realize like... Well,
1: when that was the first time that no one applauded. Yeah. At the end of a band and we just went to a commercial and I was like... I was next to Lauren. He's drinking. He goes, mm, Irish. <laughs> and, then, and then I walked over and saw the picture on the ground. So I took a piece of it and then I just put it in my pocket. Seriously? Yeah, because I go... That was smart. It's kind of funny. By the way, I'm not a religious guy. I didn't even know really what the fuck was going on. Right. I didn't know how big a deal it was. So I get home That's You didn't hang out with so her at Sunday the, post, night. the post party? Oh, no, she was really cute, actually. All the yeah. guys were flirting she with her. Yeah, she was adorable. And then everyone was like, stay away. Bad <laughs> for your rep. She's going to hell. Yeah, she was poisoned. No one would talk to her. And then we go to the party. Then that Sunday, I'm doing my laundry with my stack of quarters. And in my crummy dog shit apartment. I see on Inside Edition. There's, it's a worldwide story now. Yeah. You know, it's every news is talking about it. I'm like, oh, my God. I can't wait to go to work and see this. And then they go, the picture that was heard around the world. And they put the ripped up picture up, but one piece is missing. And I look down, and I hold it up, and I have that piece. I go, oh, that's the real picture. I thought they just, like, ripped one up to show, like, what it looked like. Yeah. I go, they have the real picture from the garbage on the ground? like. And so the next day... Of course, I went to work, and of course, I was telling like Adam and those guys, I got a piece of fiction. The they're like, cool, cool. And then, eh, Lauren wants to see you. I go, huh? <laughs> so I go into his, uh, Kenny Among, who's a great guy that works there. And, and he had two security guys. Spade, do you have anything we should know about? Oh, I'm lying immediately. Oh, and uh, they go, they heard you took the picture. Someone sold it to Inside Edition. And I go, Oh, I don't know. Yeah, what picture? I played too dumb. Who was on the show last week? And then uh, I said, "I do have." I had it on me, <laughs> and so I gave it to him. He goes, "We'll take that." And I was like, uh, "Meanwhile, they, they kept it instead of me keeping it. They kept it."
0: He probably like framed it, and put it in like they, a Hampton. Hampton's they found House. the stagehand
1: who did it. So stagehand sold it. Yeah. Wow. Savvy. Yeah. I mean, Ten grand. Trying to think if that's worth it for Inside Edition. I guess get a segment out of it. I know it was big, but you know if they kept—is a mosquito in here? If they kept it, oh, I got him! Oh, gross. Gross. gross, malaria, malaria. I feel it <laughs> sinking in my veins. You got it. Wow.
0: Look, it fades quick. Hey, let's talk about LaCroix sparkling water. Gives health-conscious consumers refreshment, flavor, and sparkle with an innocent twist of zero calories, zero sweeteners, and Zero sodium. All of LaCroix's flavors, including the newly introduced hibiscus, are derived from natural sources with natural fruit essences. Each product, this whole 30 non GMO produced without a BPI liner. Everything made in LaCroix's own facilities to maintain control over the process ingredients and water. They have flavors. I know these flavors because my kids drink these things like they're going out of style. Coconut. Is a favorite of my house. Uh, the key, the I'm sorry, the tangerine is a favorite. The peach pear is a flavor is a favorite. Cran raspberry. They also have the pure, which is one my son drinks because he's you know he's a pure kind of guy. They've also included six bold Lacroix Curate flavors, including Pina Fraise, which is pineapple strawberry. I haven't had that one, and I'm trying that. Uh, they've also added. New flavors to the Nicola theme, including coconut cola, Cubana, Cafea, uh, exotica. God, they're really testing me here with all these flavors, all of which contain no caffeine or alcohol, only naturally essence flavor. Um, they sent us a whole bunch, and, and uh, the staff was just taking off with them left and right. Thank God I have some at my house. Um, it is honestly the favorite, um, the favorite drink of the Simmons family. I swear in my kid's life, this is true. Uh, so check that out. Check out LaCroix. Um, you can join the LaCroix community on social at at LaCroix Water. And for more information and a full list of retailers, visit LaCroixWater.com. L-A-C-R-O-I-X, water.com. Why were you guys so close? Because it usually seems like the SNO cast, they stay together and then they scatter after the show and they don't stay right. in touch. But you had... Well, it was like this weird. It was almost like you guys were college dudes like still close. in a house. Yeah, that's
1: that's a miracle. I, uh, it's very unusual. It's a good question. Let me think. I knew Rob ahead of time. We did stand up. We knew Sandler from doing stand up. Drake Sather. He wasn't on, but he was on my young comedian special. And then we met. We knew Judd from Apatow from stand up. And then we and then me and Rob got the show. Then we put in a word for Adam. He got on the show. Wasn't because of us, but he that was good yeah. that he got on. So we all knew each other. So you sort of gravitate to each other. Farley and I Farley just seems like everyone gravitated. he just to yeah, everyone just yeah. likes him. So and then we shared an office, so we just would screw around. But we got along great. So so that was And then Chris Rock. And Chris Rock, I just was nice to him because I heard he's a great stand up. And he's always like, Spade, you were the first guy that was nice to me. Showed him around and stuff. Because when you get there, everyone just closes the door because you're competition. I thought they'd be like, for he's the jolly good. Right. You got to, we're having a surprise party for you because you got the show and everyone's so excited for you. You walked in, it's just crickets. They go, be here at one on Monday. No one else got there till five. I'm just walking around in circles going, is someone here in the office on 17? And finally someone goes in and goes, go wait by Lauren's office. So I sit there for two hours. I see white writers trickle in. And we, can't, I can't even meet Jim Downey. He's like my boss, but he finally shows up. He goes, all right, here's your pad and pen, you know, like a yellow pad, yeah. no computers. And here's like those little square desks, like almost, you know, you get in school. And he goes, Here's your crummy office and just, you know, write sketches this week. Host is Tom Hanks. And you go, Oh, That's Jesus. It. No coaching, no how long. I, w- I would have sat him with a thousand questions. That was your first host, Tom Hanks? No, it like. wasn't. It was, um, either Alec Baldwin or one of these guys. It was a good one, though. You yeah. know, it was, it was whoever it was was the biggest star I've ever seen. I had four shows before the summer. One was Dice Clay for his crazy legendary appearance. And one was <laughs> Alec Baldwin's first time. One was Candace Bergen. Maybe Corbin Burns. So, and some good bands. I didn't know what the hell. I wrote a joke about a, a sketch about a puffer fish for Lovitz, and it was like 17 pages. I didn't know. <laughs> Probably 45 sets. It was probably a million dollars guy. I didn't know. And I hand it in. They're like, what's this shit? They didn't put it in read-through. They go, this is ridiculous. I go, someone tell me something. I don't, I'm a middle act. I'm not even a headliner. I'm a stand-up. I don't want to write for people. I just want to be on the show and be famous. I don't want to do anything. And they're like, write for Dane or write for Mike Myers. I was like, these guys are too good for me to write for. And and when I look back, you know, it's Jack Handy and Conan O'Brien and Bob Odenkirk, Odenkirk. Schmeigel. That's just the writing stuff. Downey, the Turners, and then Dennis' is writing stuff.
0: Was and, uh, Smigel there still? Yeah,
1: he probably, was, right? Yeah. He Jesus. was there for a while when I was there. And then Adam's writing his own stuff. He's great. Schneider's smart. Everyone's – I didn't know how hard that would be. I had no idea that everyone was so good. And then I didn't get – it took a year to just form me out how to write a sketch and make it make sense and not be embarrassed and then start getting them on. But that's also your popularity and when they want you on and you yeah. know, they can take any I think Jay Moore was saying, like, you know, you don't get get them on right away and he and he even knew it when he came in. I remember Jay saying, I I know how it is. It's tough here, but you can't freak out. You gotta just pace it out. Yeah. And I think the first show he goes, Hey, I did a sketch, you got some laughs, but you know what? It's the way the ball bounces <laughs> And then a week later. Yeah, my sketch killed, but, you know, fuck them. And then right. I, it, it, it deconstructed quicker than normal. Three weeks later, he goes, fuck this place. I think he threw his phone out the window. And I go, Jay, you, you saw it coming, and, and you know it, and we all hate it. But he's like, I know, but once you're in it, it's too it's too much. Yeah, It's a pressure cooker. But everyone says the same story. Even you've heard it a million times, but it's
0: all real. So just randomly, you end up in the same office with Farley. I think we asked because we... We stayed at the same hotel the first
1: day and walked. I said, oh, are you Farley? I called his room. I said, right, you want to walk over? He goes, yeah. He was new. Yeah. So we walked over from wherever they put you up, and then we just were laughing, and then we got there, and then they said, you get your office. And I was sitting with him. They go, you want to just put a desk in with Spade? And he goes, yeah. So we went there, and then Adam was and Rock were through our office. What was the What was the
0: first fart from him? Like within a minute? For three minutes, <laughs> you know what he did do is he at read at through,
1: you know, he'd walk in the office. I didn't know this, but he'd flick my light on and off twice, like it's a stick light, you know, yeah. in the old days. And then he'd go, let's go, boop, boop. And he'd tap the exit sign on the or my doorway. I didn't know anything about OCD or anything. This is all he did every time. I thought it was to be funny. Oh, he had OCD, but he did. It. And before we do a take in a movie, he would uh, lean over and he'd pull up each pant leg twice and then stand up again. Oh, and touched the ground once. And uh, I thought he was, and honestly, I was like, he's stretching out. No one knew what OCD was. I don't know. Yeah. But once he was doing it so much, and then someone called him on it, and I go, we, I don't even think there's a name for it. He was just like, it's habits.
0: It's or like performance OCD almost. Anxiety or something. Yeah.
1: But, oh, I also he would lick and <laughs> read through. You can ask Adam. We all watch. His sketch is coming up. And it gets close and he pulls his wallet out, pulls each bill out and licks each corner and puts it back in his wallet. And everyone goes, he looks at me and I go,
0: psycho.
1: <laughs> he goes, fuck you, across because he's so nervous and he starts going like this. I go, bananas, you're scaring him. But I never even, now that you know what sort of OCD is, these, these things that people do or ticks or threats, there's something going on. Nervous habits, we called it, I don't know. But there was something for sure he was doing. And uh, no one cared. He was funny. And it just made us laugh anyway, whatever he was doing.
0: Didn't so matter. at some point, you guys just all became a gang. Yeah. And
1: everyone well, we're agrees. all in there together. And then yeah. there's Dennis Miller, Lovitz, Dan- they were, and Phil Hartman. Those are the old guard. Jan
0: Hooks, Nora Dunn. And they were all... And you have no internet. Nobody's on their phones nothing. Yeah. You just guys are killing time making each other laugh yeah, for long, long hours.
1: And writing. on you This is funny. You want to write this up with me? Let's go eat. Laugh. I wasn't really drinking. Wasn't doing any cola. The one time you should have been doing talk chalk all night just to stay up. <laughs> right. But I was not really a night person so I'd write till one, maybe two. But you're allowed to go in at noon and write. Just no right. one does. Everyone just puts it off. and That's why they write all night. But well, you also have to time your body, right?
0: Because yeah. you have to peak at 11.30 at night, which is i like bizarre that. thing to do. Yeah,
1: because on the news show, is weird because we shoot in the day. And at 2.30, I get so nervous. And then yeah. I come down, I go, this is so weird. After a few days, I go, I'm not used to it. It's always night, always stand-up. Yeah. At night. Even movies, you don't really peak that much nerves like I do on uh, the Comedy Central show, Lights Out, because I can't. I, that's so crammed into one half hour yeah, that it's getting closer to it and depending on who's on or I'm not prepared enough or I go, I don't know if the show is great today and and I got to go see these people and I don't want to disappoint them and I want to make it easy for them. But some shows I go, shit. And it seems to come together at the end because I'm cramming harder and getting ready. But it's also a big fuck off because when you have three people
0: talking. I was going to say, for, you, you reminded me of Jeff Ross because yeah. who I got to know. He was just always on like he's you could plop he's him in the loose, middle of nowhere yeah. and he's just going to start making fun of like the usher in the movie theater. He's like actually he can't,
1: better at it than me because this isn't really a roast. And, it, you know, no one no, really knows what just, it is until we start doing it. You're few. seeing
0: the humor of, of that's why your Instagram. We're I think, talking, so, off. Yeah, I'm doing tr-
1: trying to do slightly drier stuff, but the first couple of shows people thought they were there to just roast me. Oh, so and I was going to gonna go after them, so they were going to go after me first. I'm like, it's not even like that. But, you no. know, find your way. Like, they saw I wasn't really fighting back hard. I wasn't really going after anyone. We're just making well, fun so of they the they thought stories. it was
0: like a Roastmaster show almost. They didn't know.
1: Like, they are going, hey, Spade, you fucking dick. I'm like, hey, okay. <laughs> 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 trying to get the show off the ground here. But all the bits we do, and we did one last night about Mumford and Sons being— I'm interviewing bands to see if they're good enough to be my house band. So we interviewed Rascal Flatts, Mumford and Sons. It's always like really good bands. Yeah. And then I, I'm on the fence about them. So I just, so Mumford and Sons, I go, you look like, you're kind of like an Aerosmith with allergies. And then all I do is sit there and make fun of them and look at my list of questions and go blah blah blah. Mumford and Sons it sound like a vacuum cleaner repair store in the valley that's going out of business. And they just stare at me. And then basically, I just do jokes about them and then go, I don't know, I'll let you know. And then I leave and uh and last night when we aired it, luckily when we came back as a bumper, we used them laughing at one of my jokes because they were like, We're not supposed to laugh, right? Just to show that they are in on it. Right, right, is right. It's just fun because I wasn't there to make them look bad or anything. They were nice. What'd you to want there. to
0: accomplish with the show? I was I was surprised but also happy that you decided oh, to do it.
1: I think because
0: my last I'm sure you'd had offers before to do right. different types of things. It it was a combination
1: of My last movies were out of town. I started to get burned out on the travel because my stand-up's out of town. Then the movie's out of town. So you go to Boston, it's raining every day. You know, morning one. Yeah. God, grown-ups. Everything we've done there, father of the year, um, grown-ups, grown-ups two. We did one other one there, and it just—it poured 90% of the time. I guess when we go March, April, May, It just
0: like— Yeah, it's not a great time to go.
1: So tough. So I just thought I'd like to be in town. My whole life has been traveling. And people say this, but this sounds like a good opportunity because I I go, I like to make fun of stuff. I like to make fun of Hollywood. I like Instagram. And so I started getting DMs about my Instagram from executives going, this is sort of weird. Would you want to do this on like a show if you could think of a way? And I go, I don't know. Let me think. Because Instagram is a throwaway joke. Like, Little to no thought is put into my stories. I walk by something if it's funny in my head, I just film it. I don't do another take. I just do it. If it's for free. If you don't like it, tough shit. Don't. You've
0: mastered the corner of that person across the street is doing something goofy. Yeah, I'm gonna mock them for I'm sort a sort of minute. Make it, Yeah, because they're uh, yeah. I'm I was, I was jealous of and, that. That's a good gimmick.
1: And why don't then they should be more embarrassed? <laughs> why aren't you embarrassed? I yell at them.
0: Be more embarrassed. Yeah, be
1: more embarrassed. <laughs> Look what you're doing. You're standing in the middle of the street taking selfies with your you know. So, different things made me laugh and just dry. And I said, on this show, I don't think that translates because there's more pressure on it. Like, this isn't that funny. It's like, yeah, I know. It's funny when you sort of stumble into it and you go, oh, that's not bad. Yeah. What do I want from an Instagram story? I can't expect the world. So, oh, it's got a talking balloon in this one, you know, whatever. And then when we do the show, we have to use all your brains in the room to go, is this funny enough for the show? Is it too weird? I go back to Letterman. I go, I like dry stuff. I'd rather take a swing that's weird and doesn't kill, but at least you go, all right. Well, yeah. It's not the same shit everywhere. So the show is similar to a lot of shows. It's just more my sense of humor. And I interview people, but it's more just talking. You have three know, guests so. together. Three guests. Come on, do a quick cold opening about whatever. Maybe just a joke to camera. And then, uh... but I film it myself, so it's more relatable to what's going on in the world. A lot of people... FaceTime, a lot of people look down at their phone, they, selfie. so that is, just that little thing is different than just filming it with cameras. Yeah. I just walk in saying my joke. And then? I do a monologue, I like monologues, I I've always have, out of the talk shows, I'm the only one who's actually, came up as a comedian, now they're all good at it, but they weren't comedians, but I go, I should do a monologue, and then the guys write great jokes, I put my twist on them to try to make them more my voice. And then I have the panelists watch the monologue, and then they laugh if they want, and they jump in. So sometimes they... Then you can play off. The- like yesterday, someone yeah. goes, boo. <laughs> I go, for what? And I go, that joke? And I go, I know, it's sort of shitty. But I just talk, I comment on the monologue while I'm doing it, and on them, they pick fights with me, and sometimes I go, I do a joke, and then I aim it toward them at the end, and then... uh They fight back. But it's just screw-off. Then I sit with them. We talk for a commercial or two about different subjects, what's going on in the news, Miley Cyrus got worse, whatever stories we find, dumb stories. And then we usually do a field piece. I go out and tape something. We had Schneider do that Rich Meister copy machine guy the other day. He came in to do that, uh, interviewed the bands, or we had the stand-up comedian thing where I put an earpiece in people and I just... We make them do stand-up, but the audience doesn't know it. That one was our best one, I think. That one came out great. Oh, I I showed how I run The Bachelor, so same thing. I sit in a booth and tell The Bachelor on the TV show what to say it looks like. So when they're about to talk, I go, maybe just say something really stupid about your parents. And then the guy goes, you know, my mom has a chicken ranch. I go, too stupid. Back it up. Back it up. But it, it, it came off kind of funny, you know, to show that. And so that one... You know, and then they get passed around a little bit. And then Comedy Central says, do that one again. Or They've been pretty good at going, just do whatever you think is funny and we'll let you know when it's really bad. So they don't,
0: they're not all over our asses to change I
1: think anything. that
0: Instagram part of this is hilarious. That oh, I do Instagram bumpers t- too. No, just that it took that for them to be like, hey, yeah. this David Spade guy. It's like, yeah, well, oh here yeah. for three days. I was getting
1: at that. So we did a pilot called Verified. That was a good name. It was about Instagram, about social media, and. Strong name. And all that shit. And I go, I just want to do this for the name. It's a great idea. We came up. With. And then that was, so they brought me in and they said, we tested it. I thought it was over. I did it pilot. I am here for three months. So I'm doing my other stuff. And they go, I was prepping this movie in Hawaii. And they go, before you go, here's our test. People like this, this, and this. Do you want to get it picked up for 10 episodes once a week? Or we'd rather you flip it and do it every night because we the tests are strong. So we want you to do it every night after the Daily Show, where at midnight used to be. Just run with it, expand it a little bit, and do whatever you want. We won't even tell you. Just you figure out a show there, and that was where it was like too fun. It sounded too fun. Like
0: oh, you didn't trust them.
1: I'm in town. I did trust him. I said I'm in town. My own manager at Brillstein, Mark, was going to be one of the producers. I go, he already works with Jim Jeffries. They. They liked them over there. Everything was going well. It sounded like a big challenge. So it's like the first three weeks of a relationship where everything is just perfect. And you're waiting
0: for the other shoe to drop. It's
1: good. And you go, it's going to be hard because I'm not even stupid enough to know it's going to be. Oh, you're getting a text? It's not even stupid (laughs) enough to. uh, (laughs) to I'm not dumb enough to go. "Uh, I know it wasn't your trainer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) No, I'm joking because the other guy's ripped and, you know. Tommy. Tommy, he's ripped. He's over. I saw a solo flex he just took out of his trunk. Uh, He's like, just a couple reps while this guy blabs for an hour. So, I don't know what I was saying. But the show is hard to do, and I know it. I know how hard it is. So I go, it's going to be hard. Got Frank Sebastiano. He's a good roast writer, old SNL writer, buddy of mine. Dragged him in. Anybody we could grab. And then my buddy started going, I'll come on it. I think it's funny. That's been good because I said, no stars, three comics a night. They're comedy store guys. They're headliners. But I get stressed when they want stars. And then you got to, you know, we're not going to beat the ratings. of. The so you want your friends Fallon. to
0: volunteer, basically. Well, I go,
1: I don't want to ask them for sure. That's gross. But if I think of a bit just for them, that's a the hard part. So, Aniston, hey, will you do this one thing I thought of for you? And I go to John Mayer and I talk on Instagram. I go, If I think of a bit for you, he goes, yeah, I like you. Yeah, for sure. Let's do something. And some just say, no, I don't want to. I'm going to wait and see. I'm like, all right, don't be too honest. Gross." gross. They want want to see if the show does well before they agree. Interesting. Uh And I go, I get it. I mean, my manager PR, first thing they do is their first reflex is to say no to anything, especially if it's new. Yeah. You're not the guinea pig. Let's wait. Like Amy Schumer. No one's on her show the first year. Second year, people asked to be on. Yeah. So we got lucky where people started to say, early on, that sounds funny. Yeah, yeah, I want to do that one. And then come on. And then the comics that come on, they go, oh, it is kind of fun. That wasn't hard to get comics. Even good ones. I mean, we get, obviously, anyone who goes in the comedy store, we got Adam Eagot, who books the comedy store, and who's a buddy of mine, to book this. because Is that the Norm McDonald guy? Yeah. (laughs) He has access to every great comic. Yeah. In the country, and so I'm like, "Why are we hiring a guy? Let's get him." So he does the comedy store anyway. So he's like, "This guy's great. He's in town. He wants this guy." And they talk every day anyway. And so we started loading up a month right away. Leno called me last week, told me how great the show was. He loves it. He likes it. It's just jokes. I can't believe you didn't do a Leno impersonation right there. I was waiting I know, for it because it's bad. It's so easy. Hey, it's just jokes. <laughs> he goes, "I love monologues. You do monologue. You, people chime in. That's new." He goes, you do these bits, feel pieces I don't see coming. He goes, love it. He goes, I'll come on. You want me to come on? And so he's coming on in a week. I said, for sure. Uh, he goes, I love it. Just place, go do jokes. And But he goes, I called you to support, you know, because you're doing a new show. And I did, you know, 22 years of it or something. He goes, yeah. well, I'm just telling you, you're, you're on the right track, so keep it up. That was nice. That was nice. I did that show, you know, 20 times, so nice to hear from him. You've... I mean, you've done everybody
0: going back to probably Carson, yeah. right? I'm like a big did talk you show Carson
1: guy. I did one, yeah.
0: So you've d- you've done everybody basically since 1980.
1: Yeah, you know? pretty much. So Letterman,
0: Mike and Maddie,
1: Kilborn, <laughs> all the old ones. <laughs> yeah, Kill i probably did Kilborn ones. I knew Kilborn. I'm sure I did. I did uh
0: early Conan, mid Conan, yep. and then
1: famous Conan. Yep. Or because Conan was one of my buddies from SNL, uh, and did Letterman a bunch. That was like a big deal. Did Letterman one crack him up was the hardest like it was the funnest and then at the commercial he'd whisper something and I'd be like uh-huh swooning
0: that's how I found out about just about everybody from Letterman like if they go on And then when it. I was a kid like if people like Seinfeld Kila. would go on yeah and if they were good, it would felt like substantial, Yeah, you know, because I think Carson was that guy for the people in the 70s. But for the 80s, for our yeah. people, it was maybe because
1: he was tough. You know, he doesn't laugh a lot and he's weird and he likes weird bits. So I liked his show and the whole dryness of the tone. And then if he had a comedian, he kind of laughed. I go, oh, he's laughing at that guy.
0: Yeah. It's a good trick. And he would have weird people that Carson would have never had on. George too.
1: Miller. he had always like yeah, buddies George on for a Miller. while. And then I'm <laughs> like,
0: is he that good? Like it took me a couple to go, oh, it's his buddy. But I Jeff was convinced. Altman I
1: saw early on; it was funny, and uh, I was
0: convinced George Miller was amazing for three years before slowly realizing I that know. maybe he wasn't. He would folk. see would have some good stuff, but
1: I, I can see it because you know it's, it's all his buddies at the store, and then you get your own yeah. fucking show, and they're like, "Well, you're obviously putting me on, right?" And they're like, "He's like, well, right now it's tricky because right <laughs> now I'm the head of my show, so I can't. I, it's hard to blame it on anyone." Yeah. I go, well, I mean that's I a- want to but they just and he's like who's they? It's right. you. It's I'm your like, show. No, but and I was like god I've never been in this position. Before. I mean I loved Leno in the 80s. He was oh, yeah. the best letterman guest he had. Yeah. He was on every 4 weeks mm-hmm. and he killed every time. That's where I was into Leno. I'm like look at this guy, he's got more shit. Like I'm sitting at home going, I would I'd never want to be a stand up. I was just like this guy's funny as shit. I didn't think of being a stand up till out of high school. Never show but and by the way Never SNL, nothing. Just when I did stand-up, my biggest aspiration was to be a middle act. I go, if I can just middle. You're from Michigan, right? I'm from Michigan. Yeah. And, and then it was Arizona after that. But kicking around the Arizona clubs. So you started going there to the clubs, getting your ass kicked? <laughs> I, I told Colin Quinn, I go, I started when there was like no comedy scene in Arizona. He goes, there's still no comedy scene. In there.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true. But I, I caught this weird wave where I just did it out of the blue. I saw it in New Times. Some comedy club. I go, well, they have a club where people just, like the people I see on Carson. Yeah. So I went down there and just, I was 18. I watched. And even the guys that were shitty, I go, they just walk up. There. I was floored and mesmerized. And then I saw Barry Sobel do an hour. As the first guy I saw Barry an Sobel, hour. And it was wow. was great. Yeah. I, mean, I go, are you making this shit up? I was like, my mom, she thought I made up my whole hour, you know. And then she goes, you did some of the same jokes when I saw you. And I go, yeah, no shit, Mom. It took me five years to get that hour. Right. Oh. <laughs> One time I did a show in her Spokane where she was working, and she invited everyone from work to see me. I booked it basically to visit her and get paid for it. And then, yeah. And I was new. And they wanted me to do 45, and I had about 35. So I really squeaked it out. And then she had everyone from work stay for the late show. And she goes, just two different stuff. I go, the fuck are you talking about? I barely got through that, Mom. That was a squeezed out 45. I have 35. I had to go to the crowd. Where are you from? <laughs> oh, you're all from Spokane. Okay, didn't work. And then, <laughs> and then she goes, no, do different stuff. I go, Mom, you don't get what
0: I do. I'm an artist. God. Let's talk about Hotel Tonight, who has been with us, I think, for the entire time I've had this podcast. Here's an insider travel secret from Hotel Tonight. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked Hotel Tonight teams up with awesome hotels to help them sell these rooms and then passes those savings along to you. It's your one-stop shop for booking cool top-rated hotels at incredible values. Here's a Hotel Tonight story. My daughter had a soccer game last week in Temecula, which is like two hours from L.A. And a couple of the parents on the team grabbed hotel rooms a few days before. There's one parent on the team, not me because I drove back and forth, but one of the parents who knew I loved Hotel Tonight, he played it last minute. He's like, you know what? I'm going to trust this Hotel Tonight thing. Got an awesome room, closer than all the other parents, uh, better rate, the whole thing, and was really flaunting it. So if you ever want to cause uh, tension on your soccer team with the parents, be the one who is smart enough to use Hotel Tonight. They even have a Daily Drop feature. You can score an extra amazing deal with them. In most cities, you can use Daily Drop to unlock a special deal at a hotel selected just for you. Once you deal is unlocked, move quickly. You only have 15 minutes to book. If you want to swipe again, you can unlock a new deal every day. Staycations, weekend getaways, whatever you want. Great hotel deals are just one swipe away. Go to hoteltonight.com or download the app to unlock your daily drop. Do you still do stand-up or not really? I do, yeah. I did it the other night at the store. I was killed. Oh, what did you ask me? So you still have— I threw that in. You still have the
1: need to just, like, work the muscle? Everyone was like, you're the best one here, blah, 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 whatever. Who cares? Um, I still do have the need because it's so hard. I think that's why, like, Ellen did it again. Yeah. I think that's why Eddie wants to do
0: it again. Sarah Silverman was talking. I had her on three weeks ago, and we were talking about it's like golf. You just got to kind of keep going out there. By the way,
3: I'm only doing it Two, three times
1: a week. Yep. I got to take my act out for a walk because I don't remember it and I don't remember the connective tissue between the bits, and I don't remember how to do an hour. So I go to the store, but it's only 15, 15. And it's almost impossible to do, like, four different 15s to get ready for an hour because yeah. you sort of get into it the same way, and they're not always in that chunk, you know? So it's almost pointless. But just to walk up the night before, I go on and do an hour. I'm doing Brea improv that I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing uh, Oklahoma Uh, this hilarious named casino, but with Dennis Miller and Norm. Next week. Norm? Where do the he actually shows up? It's so funny. Um, I don't know. And he goes, David, how are you getting there? He's hit me up. I go, oh, no. I go, I thought you are getting a private jet. What? Who told you that? Because he wants me to get one. So I play Norm in his own game. And I go, oh, "Oh, you got a jet? No, I just said I don't. Oh, can I go with you? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no you're not listening
1: they play his bullshit game he plays dumb all the time and then dennis goes i think we should just all go together because it's so funny i did the same gig with dennis and look will you look that up where that gig is winstar oh winstar casino in where oklahoma right it's a hilarious name city
3: Oh the city you want the city right.
1: thackerville Thackerville. So me and... and That's why it's so funny. I played it before, and it was fun. It was packed. It was me and Dennis. And then Dennis goes, Spudley, I want to get out of here. Why don't I go first? I go, you're the headliner. Right. (laughs) And by the way, following Dennis is almost impossible. Yeah. And so I got it. This time, it's me, Norm, and
0: Dennis. I don't even know the order, but they're both hard to follow. They do great. Norm has replaced Super Dave now as comedy's biggest enigma slash beloved with all the other... People, crazy man yeah yeah but he he is always everyone has nine norm stories even i have like three norm stories someone said you have some connection to Norm. he wrote for greatland oh he we had mutual friends and uh and he wanted to write a golf column about like golf gambling like great did four and then just we never heard from him again then saw him two years later was like hey i love doing that golf column like uh, well, we, he's like what, yeah, like, like, what happened? Here's what happened. You so we, we cut off the you. world. Yeah, we emailed you repeatedly and you didn't answer anything. But yeah, that it, it, was, was it was classic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. If we were in a court, I'd go, I can vouch for that story. I know nothing about it. <laughs> I believe your version. But with me, I go, Norm, he goes, David, you want to have dinner? Yeah. And then I go, yeah. Me and you eating dinner and then talking about fun old times? Sure. How about tomorrow night? yes. And then no word doesn't follow up. And then four weeks later, three in the morning, hello. <laughs> and then three Oh one David answer me.
0: I go, Norm, I can't play this anymore because it's funny, but it's Letterman's love for Norm Macdonald is, is one of the most, I would watch a documentary about that too. Yeah. He by seems the way. like he just appreciates and loves it the most. And I, I have no idea why I busted
1: Norm wide open because that last Letterman. Yeah. Uh, he went on. This is how he got so solidified in. Yeah, because so we have the same manager, me and uh, Norm. So I go, "Hey, Gervitz." Uh, he goes, "Ah, did you see Norm on eh? Letterman last night?" I go, "No, <laughs> I saw some chick bawling." Why well, was Norm on too? And he goes, hey, 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 "I'm going to tell him." I go, "Please do." I go, "Norm, were you crying on Letterman?" He goes, "No, I I was." I got teary because I go, that's crying. Go ahead. Yeah, that's tears are and he crying. He goes, no, because I love Letterman. I go, I know, but relax. Right. I go, we all go on there. We all love Letterman, but and then I go, oh, guess who's producing your show? The tears pedal. Mm. <laughs> Letterman, we do my show. Remember me? I was crying. I'm like, baby alive cries real tears. Uh, I know, it's funny, but it's a good thing to bust his balls. Actually, I have to say, one of my favorite things I've done, and I haven't seen, is me on Norm's show on Netflix. I, oh, it was probably a year or two ago, not a year ago, when he did his show, he had 10 episodes. I was the first one. Yeah. So I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know if I knew it was on Netflix. I didn't know, I just, he said, is it? Yeah. Our friendship's a total one-way street. Will you do me a favor? And then when you ask me for one, I'll disappear. I go, of course, Norm. <laughs> So, <laughs> so I go, I go, all right. So, I go on this thing and I'm sort of just shitting on it. I didn't know we started, we're just talking, yeah, you know, like we were talking when I came in, right? And then he goes, All right, let, no, he didn't say that. He goes, Let's go to a commercial. And I go, Oh, are we on? And right. we're going to a commercial. I go, I don't know we started. I had like a can of, you know, LaCroix or something. I go, I He can't didn't do have an intro can up here, can I? No one's even. I was talking to my assistant. I was just screwing off, waiting for the. Because you would just sit down.
0: Norm's no really one says for a word.
1: Something. And it was funny. And I liked it. And then people would say, I like the show because, first of all, someone would go, I love that you guys are great friends. Someone would say, Are you guys even friends? <laughs> because it was such an oddball, weirdo thing that. And I didn't even let myself watch it because I go, I just like the idea of remembering it and going, It was weird. And then I would bust his balls about something. And then he would. And drop me about something, and get on my ass, and then it was over, and I gave him, a, I gave him another hard out, but I gave him 90, and he goes, I hear you have to leave after, and I go, <laughs> you have to fucking continue life, you asshole, <laughs> who wants to sit here for 90 minutes and talk stupid shit, I, uh, anyway, I don't, I go, I have 10 minutes of stories, Norm, you are, and you want me here for 90, so 80 is going to be dead air, so.
0: Are you aware of your outsized impact with the younger generation because of the two grown-ups movies? I am. I found it. Is, that, a- is the whole Sandler universe like fully properly well, aware of how many times those movies have been seen by basically anyone I do, eighteen and under?
1: I, I, I love. Listen, I always appreciate. I don't act like it. I always appreciate anything fan. They go. People say bye-bye to you. They say and you are and right. you're sort of like old catchphrase. I go. Let me tell you, they go, does that bother you? I go, the whole point and victory of being on Saturday Night Live is going, what if one day I had a catch? For, what if I one yeah. day I had something someone said when you're watching at home? It was so fun for me. How cool. And Dana's going, isn't that special? And to stumble into one without really force-feeding it? We did bye-bye twice. Right. I did receptions three times. So to have something, the audience knows what they want. So they like it, and they or they don't. You could do it ten times. They don't. No one says it again. You go. I force fed it. They didn't want it, but to have something like that, and then grown ups comes
0: along, which was a great idea of Sandler. Like grown ups is going to be eternal. It might last for seventy five years. The bye bye. No, you know the S N L sketches. Unless sure. they make a YouTube run. You don't have YouTube to add run. this part, but yeah. No, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Grown Ups is streaming right now, probably on the front page of Netflix in one I'm of the top eight you. movies. It's
1: never going to end. Someone did a joke on the show about me. They go, if I need you, I can find you any day around 3 p.m. on TBS. It'll be there." Dickie Roberts, Ben Schwimmers, one of the nine grown ups. I go, exactly. And you know what? Great, because it's just another wave. There's people that go, dude, I love your career. I go back to Grown Ups 1 with you. And I go, Wow. Grown Ups 1. Jesus. Okay. They don't know what the fuck, you know what I mean? They don't know who Farley is. They don't know
0: anything. I've been fascinated by how much my kids love that movie. It's kind of everything they want. And it's not a bad, Adam's good at, he made it a family movie.
3: Like
1: yeah, he made that's it, what it it's is. Not it's not dirty.
0: It's a family movie with dopey stuff it's happening. It's a tiny bit
1: dirty, like where they go, hey, hey, hey but nothing yeah. bad. And then Grown Ups 1, that's a basketball one, right? We're all playing basketball. And that was a good lesson, and it was, like, nice. And Plus, was, Sandler, like, secretly just wants to show off he, that he's good at basketball. Hoops. Yeah. By the way, Boston hoops in the summer all day is not the way to go right. <laughs> outdoors. He goes, well, I go, we got a week of basketball scenes today. Like, uh, and like, Rock's like, do we all have to play? <laughs> Rock hates basketball. I'm the only black guy who does not want to jump on that court. <laughs> and we were playing, and we are just, like, get one shot of Rock making it. I was trying to do trick shots. Hopefully, they're rolling the camera. They would put him in the credits.
0: I like seeing their strategy of every once in a while. He just makes a movie because either he wants to hang out with his friends or yeah. he wants to go to some awesome location. I do have. Like to he say. just made a movie where he was like in Monaco with Jennifer sure. Aniston. Yeah, it's like oh cool Martin Monaco, Mystery, for which is funny. Uh, two
1: months. He did one with her in Hawaii. Yeah, Hawaii is another one. I just one. did one called uh, "The Wrong Missy," and for once, I got Hawaii. You did? I've never had it. Hawaii is, is undefeatable as a location for By a the movie. Way, it works every time. I caught myself complaining one day. and First of all, if you're ever in a movie, you can't complain to anyone. Yeah. It's the ultimate goal of everyone in the Screen Actors Guild. So if you're like, I'm doing this fucking movie. And they're like, you have a movie? I go, oh, yeah. okay. Sorry. Wrong audience. But actually, there's no audience for you to complain. There's only other people in the movie or other people that are in movies. And then you can go, how was the movie? And they go, great, great. And then you whisper It was this, and they're like, oh my God, my movie, this. But you can't tell real people because they go, is there, are you kidding? There's something wrong? And you're in Hawaii. So I sort of kept it shut on that one. But it was a great movie, The Wrong Missy, with Lauren Lapkus. That was the hard part. It's about this crazy girl I go on a date with. Yeah. The quick story is I'm a normal divorced guy. Yeah. I got a date. I go on one like Tinder crazy date. She's bananas. So I say, no more of this. I want to meet real girl in real world. So I meet Molly Sims out at, at – I bump into her at, a, you know, airport. And we talk. I get her number. So I start talking to her. And I go, see, I have a girl now. This is a real girl I met in real life. So I'm texting, texting. And then my friend goes, invite her on your work trip to Hawaii. And I'm like, oh, it's too much. I haven't even gone on a date with her. We're just texting. So I finally get the nerve. And she says, of course. I'd love it. So I get to the airport. And I'm getting – and, I, and she, I can't find her. I get on the plane. And I'm waiting. And I run into that Stupid girl that I went out with. And I go, what are you doing here? she goes, what the fuck do you think I'm doing here, dick? And then she walks by me and I go, Jesus, I'm on the plane with this chick. And then I look at my phone and I go, hmm. I, lo- I realize I'm texting this girl the whole time. Uh, I never once texted Molly Sim. So I'm like, oh, my God, I just invited this girl on my flight. So I get in. She's sitting in the seat next to me. She's like, hey, love bug. And now my boss comes over and meets her. So now I go, okay, You have to pretend you're my girl. Now, I'm on a two-week trip with her. And let me tell you something. Everything that can go wrong does. But it was was really funny. And we got Lauren. And you got to be in Hawaii. She was great. Hawaii was great. And uh, that comes out in seven years on Netflix.
0: Oh, it's on Netflix? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Bill. The only thing actors can really complain about that Mm -hmm. I can kind of see it is the press tours. When the people are like, yeah. oh my God. Uh. Even we did grown-ups. grownups. Doing an interview over and over again is actually like, at some point, you lose your normal
1: mind. Normal people, I'm saying normal people, people that aren't in showbiz even get that when you do, they still don't, they still hate you if you complain. But when you go in and sit down in those little director's chairs and you do 45 in a row, yeah. that was the minimum in the old days. 9 a.m. till 6 p.m.
0: It's like a t-shirt cannon. They're just shooting oh my t-shirts, God. but and they're they actually start, interviews at It's you.
1: fucking groundhogs. David,
0: what was Chris Farley like? What and was just, like? Tell him about next your one. character.
1: What about the movie? What about this? Ha, ha, ha. Next person, hi, I'm from Entertainment Tonight. David, what's your character? Tell him about the movie. Tell, and you do it. Oh, and I go, can I just do it once and then pass it around, but they won't let right. you? Netflix is the only place that goes, hey, Ted Sarandos is over there. You know, that guy at Netflix? Yeah. There's three blocks away. He's like, Why don't you do Stern, Ellen, Fallon, a couple podcasts and call today? And I'm like, great. He goes, you're already in our algorithm. People are coming to you. You're in grownups. You're algorithm friendly.
0: Oh yeah. At just gave me this movie. Give great algorithm.
1: Listen, be in the vicinity of Adam, who's like
0: very Andy algorithm over there. Yeah. When they gave him that huge deal, I was like, some there's some reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a fluke. It's like when all of a sudden they had all those true crime documentaries. Something's working. So Call Girl missing and when I Nebraska. did, you know,
1: plus they have all just shoot me. Yeah. Rules of engagement. So my name is tied in these things. And then I'm in the movies on there, benchwarmers people like. And then yep. you turn it around to uh, the do-over I did with Adam. So yeah. now I'm grandfathered in with Adam, and then the do-over was their biggest movie of all for a while. Yeah. Then they, they give me Father of the Year. Now, I did that for less because I go, yeah, I want my own movie. You know, it would be fun, and they wanted this director they like, But it was all low budget. I go, I like this. I think I can score with this. It was in Boston. I had an accent from New Hampshire. It's bananas, right? We do it. They tell me later, this is our most watched movie for two weeks. We don't even believe it. I'm like, you don't believe it. I don't believe it. No one believes it. So they go, do another one. Now I got my own. Now I'm in my own one that's working. Now you're getting like your own
0: search, right? People so now, start typing "da" and all of a sudden you're nine David. Spade they come movies up with come the up.
1: wrong Missy and they go, "This is you." And then we find some some woman to play with you, and now that comes out, and I don't know what we just finished it, but that was great. So now I'm in the mix over there. And the Ted, and Ted's from Arizona. So when I met Ted, I was selling a house, and they said the guy who's buying it is a guy that works at Netflix, Ted Serranos. Yeah. Oh. I go, Netflix, because it was newer. And I go, shit, I go, I'll go, i probably be working for this guy one day. So I go, stop negotiating. Honestly, I go, just take that last one, sure. I don't want to beat him up. Like, So he took me to dinner. He said, I'll, he said, hey, I got your house. Let's go to dinner. Grew up in Arizona. Here's all the clubs you played. Boom, 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 boom. I worked at a video store. I went to this, this show, this show. Knew my whole wow. thing. And I go, we're like buddies, exact same age. He knew everything about me. SNL, everything, we, we had a blast. And then now I just see him out because he's just a cool guy. Didn't know he'd be the king of showbiz. Uh, even then I just go, "Hey, Netflix is doing all right, you know. And then, and then I wind up, I didn't even do a show for them. I've never done a show for them, which was sort of tragic because I do love it. But now I got that. Yeah, that's,
0: that's why with this whole Disney thing, everybody's like Disney versus Netflix and yeah. the apps and all that stuff. Netflix has six to seven years of the algorithm. Oh, my God. That tells them exactly what people want.
1: When Father of the Year came out and they go... There's nothing like, you know, we did Grown Ups. It comes out does okay in America. Then we go over. We open it in Spain. Yeah. A premiere there one day. Next day, we go to Dublin. Next day, we go to Berlin. That's like two months after. You know, they take the reels, put them over there. When Netflix, they go, yeah, it's going to open in 180 countries tomorrow at midnight. I go, are you shitting me? So in one... Two hours after it opens... Here's my Twitter. Like, hi, I'm in Mongolia. Hi, I'm in any. Just watch your movie. Like, I was instantly probably known in places I never would be known in. Never in a million years would they. And then they go watch Do Over because I was in that, you know, and then they jump around and that just really
0: helps everything. At some point, they're going to create the Netflix. Super comedy algorithm where it's like Grown Ups three combined with some other some some horror movie where something's wrong with the house. Yeah, because it's, oh, like, it's everything. It's they like have. a hybrid of all the things that have worked, and they'll just.
1: I thought Grown Ups was, was was smart of an, Adam because he took every everyone that could do their own movie and yeah. jammed them together, and it was like the Warriors or something where you go,
0: oh, let's get this guy from this team, this guy, and just cram them together. I always thought, like, remember those like Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve movies where they would just get. Bradley oh, Cooper. Oh, yeah, ben yeah. F- and they are being for Julia four Roberts, scenes. Yeah. they overpay them. Yeah. But then you put everyone together and it becomes a movie. Yeah. And then it makes $200 million. Yeah, that was so a know. smart smart. Then mode. they were like Groundhog's
1: Day, New Year's Day. They were doing any wispy Arbor Day. Leap year. Just, just to get them in there and cram. <laughs> Here's Jennifer Garner. Arbor Day. And <laughs> Jessica Alba. Yeah. I yeah. Believe me, I wanted to be in one of those. I go, I think I could work three days for a $1 million. <laughs> that'd be great. Bet f like Bradley Cooper. They're all like, sure. By the way, I'm not is. comparing us to the Warriors. I was just saying the idea of, like... I'd, 100% weight. You get what I meant. Okay. Yeah. You're taking by the way, did you like bench warmers? You know, I still hear oh, about bench warmers a lot. I yeah. I hear it from MLB guys. How many years guys. ago is that now? I, I just retweeted some dumb thing about Richie Bitchie because I was... Somebody in the wor- World Series was... Little League One was scr- crunching down. Yeah. And some writer, or some sports guy put... Yeah, it looks like Spade and benchwarmers, or whatever. And I, I didn't even know it. I go, oh, yeah. So I retweeted. It's a 100,000... In two seconds, I go, what? Those weird movies like that. that Sports like, movies love people watch over warmers, and over again. Yeah, And it's dumb but funny and Swartz is in it and funny and uh, Napoleon, I mean, John Heater. And That was one I, I am proud of those things. And people go, you were in Benchwarmers. I go, I love Benchwarmers. Yeah. And to see kids like it and to see Little League World see his favorite movie, Benchwarmers. I love that stuff. That's and hilarious. then you see pros like it because they were kids and they grew up watching it. So it's so fun. That's fun for me.
0: All right, so your show is 11.30 Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Oh, I feel this is a wrap-up. It oh, is, right? Going over an hour. Did I go over an hour? Well, I, did, I could keep going, but I, I, didn't, I didn't. you complained earlier about was, when you're with somebody for 90 minutes. I know, I'll complain after. Um, you can come back. Oh, this is Norm.
1: Are you on his show right now? Norm,
0: no, I'll tell him I did this to get him mad. I wrote 30 golf columns for him. No, it was really for
1: Do you like tweets to get one like? Come to my site. I go, you can't describe putting during, you know, not describe putting. That's fine. But he just, he just is a play-by-play announcer of a golf game.
0: It's the weirdest use of Twitter anyone's ever done where he's like, good putt by Tiger. (laughs) I know.
1: That's why you like him though. Great
0: wedge by Kepka. I go, ooh, go
1: back 10. You got three likes on this one. (laughs) But I go, it's only because no one can keep up with it. They're like, oh, I want to, oh, there's another one.
0: There's another one. Oh. I feel like it's a bit on how dumb Twitter is. Yeah, maybe he's just it might doing be. a long play.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a seven-year <laughs> I can't play. wait till he's on the show, because we were saying, who should I put him with? Uh, and he goes, David, I I love your show. He, like, analyzes him. He's smart. Yeah. And he also goes, I like when sometimes there's comics that don't know... Oh, whatever. I won't say that. But he just says, uh, David, I won't do any written stuff. Let's just do something. I go, of course. I go, what's written? We do... We bring up a subject. Miley Cyrus makes out with that chick. She likes a little whisker biscuit now. And right. Now. And I go, just say whatever you want. That's all I do. I go, she eats at the soup kitchen. I go, just say whatever cracks you up. And he goes, yeah, she dines at the Y. And he goes, yeah, stuff like that. And then I go, well, when do you want to come on, crickets? And then three days later, great show last night. Here's every. I want to sit with you. No one else around. You respect me, don't you? I will tell you. The good and the bad of the show. And don't worry, it's mostly good. I go, great. Of course I want to hear what you think. You're good. David, do you understand? No one else can be there. It's me and you.
0: Oh, he doesn't want two other people.
1: I want. No, just when he tells me. Yeah. Dinner. He goes, you're doing a lot of things right. And I want to confirm. because if you respect me, which I think you do, who cares what these other motherfuckers say? I'm going to tell you. I like it. And that means it's good. I go, of course. And he has to reiterate that fifty times. I go, when do you want dinner, crickets? Nine <laughs> days later, hello,
0: <laughs> David. Do you still have your phone?
1: Yes, Norm. I just was asleep at three a.m. like the rest of the planet.
0: Do you think there should be a podcast of just
1: people discussing their experiences and friendships with Norm McDonald? Everyone loves Norm because it's too.
0: Everyone it's loves too Norm. That's nice name in the title.
1: It's too interesting because he's.
0: This is what you Super don't know Dave how is much like is then. an act.
1: What's not, but. He does get you, and he doesn't want to drive. And then I go, no one they, because he lives like a marina. I go, no one wants to come get you in the marina. No one's going to the marina for anything at 6 o'clock. If you want to go eat, and then Uber came. I go, Norm, now we're going to be best friends. I'll pay for it. I'm going to send an Uber. He goes, I don't want to get in a car with a stranger. Oh, we had this yeah, whole thing Uber. fixed.
0: <laughs> you don't want to get in an Uber? Jeez, it
1: could be easier.
0: When does he officially move to Palm Springs or Palm Desert or one of those types of places?
1: In retire? like Super
0: Dave did. No, and then just tell, just constantly tell you he's coming back. I hey, know. I'm going to be in L.A. on I Tuesday. Know.
1: I tr- that feels like the next phase for him. I get excited because he's very elusive, so it's fun. We hang out because he's a Garbo of the comedians. Yeah, but he is—he is, he is and he's good looking. I always say you look like Paul Newman. Huh? I go, you do. Know, you're tall and cool looking. All these girls were into him, like quietly, like you'd hear these. girls, he's- Norm's hot, Norm's.
0: He's still my favorite weekend update guy. Yeah, he's great. He's crazy. And weird. He really, really thrived on not getting a laugh. Yeah, he enjoyed and it he more commits. than anyone who ever did. And, and I go. By the, the way,
1: down. your whole thing of not getting laughs, don't you? Don't have to drag that whole thing to my show. <laughs> I just never seen like it. Do the crazy one where you get laughs and then go back. But, but have he's you had Smart. Oh, sorry. That wasn't. That was my zipper. Corolla is. Uh, is coming on. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Corolla. I would say Corolla. Don't know would Be Corolla good for well. this format. He's
1: coming on and I saw him the other night at one of those clubs he's great yeah he's we're ready for him we got all these we got Bill Burr and I think oh Jim Jeffers together we've got uh, just pretty much every comic eventually coming
0: on so it's good well thanks for coming on this I appreciate it this was fun good luck with the show I'm glad you're doing it Uh, sorry I got lost in the lot but (laughs) it's it's understandable with this lot thank you All right, we're going to bring in Nathan Hubbard in one second. I want to tell you about three ringer podcasts that you should know about. The first one, The Rewatchables, where if you missed Fatal Attraction last week, well, that's on you. Do the Right Thing is coming this week. You won't want to miss that one. The Ringer Dish, which we uh, mentioned before, is covering celebrity culture. And I think my daughter's going to be on there this week, too, if you've never heard her. She really... Breaks down teen culture like nobody have ever heard. I wish she was this intelligent around the house. Podcasts raise our argue by 30 points for some reason. Uh, and then the third one is the Ryan Rossillo Show, which is currently called Dual Threat, but will not be called Dual Threat for much longer. But you can subscribe to that now before we change the name. And in September, we're going to have him three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, football, basketball. Uh, he said this week, quote, I just want to do some weird ones. I don't know what that means. I'm frightened. Um, but I would subscribe to that podcast because there's about to be a lot of them right now, it is called dual threat with Ryan Rosillo. The name might be changing, but that will be the feed subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's bring in Nathan Hubbard. All right. Currently he's the CEO of rival. He used to run Ticketmaster. He is my friend who has more opinions on the music business than anyone I know. And instead of just calling him about, uh, the Taylor Swift album, which he has some hot takes on, um, we just decided to call him. So here he is on the pod. Nathan Hubbard. How are you? Hi, Bell. Um, you texted me today. You were delighted. You were excited. You were out of your mind.
2: This is hard to do. This is hard to do. Like, what did uncle Tony tell you? Remember what uncle Tony, you told me uncle Tony told you about writing. Yeah. What did he say? What did he say?
0: He said, like, in my early 40s, my fingers would stop
2: working. Right. Well, this woman... Look, you've written a bunch. I made five albums and ran out of gas. This woman is 30 years old, never had a childhood, and she's still going. Like, the singles that she released from this record were not good. Like, you played them for Z. She was not happy. I played them for Haley; She was not happy. And this album is bringing heat. This might be her second best album ever. Wow. And it came out of nowhere.
0: So do you think she went back to the basics? And because she did, she had some detours there and it seemed like it was all heading. The reason I'm fascinated by this, I'm sure people are listening, like, why the why the fuck is he talking about Taylor Swift? To me, it's the career and the approval rating she has and the fact that she's, raised, been raised in this generation of superstars, knowing that they have to reinvent themselves over and over again. Only she was doing it from a teenager on. It was like, she was a, a test tube baby from this weird generation and has looked right. at her career that way. And my issue with her was always, it never seemed authentic. It always seemed like carefully crafted and calculating, which is why I, I never was never really appreciated it. You were always on the other side. No, she's She's a possible genius. She's going to have a long career. This is the Madonna of our generation. I just never believed you.
2: So, when I was a Ticketmaster, her dad would call me incessantly. She was playing as an opening act for a bunch of country artists in the amphitheaters, you know, the Jones Beaches and Irvine Pavilions and Great Woods Pavilions of the world. And this guy, who I had no idea who he was, you know, he'd call me up, I mean, multiple times a year and say, my daughter sure Sunday is going to be a star, but you know, the experience is not good enough. There should be more people selling this. You should have different food. Here's how you make the lines better. The experience is going to be better. Like from 13 years old, this child was conditioned and trained to be a star, but, but yes, by her family, but she just knew it. She was going to be, I mean, that's how I think about it. She had no childhood. She's had almost no life experience being normal. You know, and so she's constantly in search of who she is. That's the genesis of her art, and in that context, it's easier to go on her journey and for me to appreciate it.
0: So you're get you're you're almost giving her like a degree difficulty as you think about her.
2: I, I looked at Miley Cyrus's tweets this week, and I thought, okay, I, I love that she's sort of had this evolution, but even she has acknowledged that, like. Yeah, you know, she's had a rough go to say the yeah. least. I mean, outside of Timberlake, and who knows, there's probably eighty bodies buried in his house, well we know. <laughs> but outside of Timberlake and P Swift, I'm not sure who the child star is who's been okay. Yeah. And what's fun to root for in Taylor is that, you know, she's okay. I mean, look, she is our second most vilified woman, well, she's our second most vilified white woman of the 2000s, right? Besides 2016 popular vote winner Hillary Clinton, and like Hillary's electoral college failure, there's some kind of fucked up, entrenched alternative system that was built to preserve the status quo, at least in the music business, that, that has always resented and rejected the fact that Taylor wins the popular vote every time, every time. And, and it's fun to get behind her in that way.
0: But it's funny because they both have the same flaw, right? They have the same thing that people don't like about them, which is that people ultimately didn't feel like Hillary Clinton was authentic and they didn't totally believe in her, the people that were against her. And with Taylor Swift, it's the same thing. If they don't like her music, it's they, they concede that she's talented and has made good songs yeah. over the years, whatever. But it always comes back to the authenticity.
2: But everybody says that in a one-on-one setting, Hillary's great. The place where Taylor is at her best is in her songwriting and in her music. So there's a tune, you know, the, the 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 single that they released called The Archer made no sense when they when they released it as a standalone thing. On the album, it follows the song called The Man. And it's basically an outro for the song The Man. Uh, But but on it, she's saying you see right through me, which is it's like a super vulnerable statement. And when we sort of appreciate the the beauty and complexity of this woman who had no childhood and who is still searching for who she is, it kind of all makes sense. Like I think about Jay-Z, I think about Taylor at this phase in their careers. Right. You look at what Jay-Z did with the NFL, super controversial, Kanye supporting Trump like there's people who would say they've sort of lost their way in terms of sort of fighting for what they believe in. Taylor got the criticism on the other side, which was like, why don't you use your voice? Why don't you use your resolve quietly? And you see it in that song, The Man. You see it in the dollar lawsuit she filed against her harasser. You see it in a bunch of the political things that she started to do. As other artists evolve and get comfortable, they sell out their communities. They give away their voice. Taylor's only gaining resolve. I love that about
0: her. She's also, she's 30 now, right? Right. You kinda are who you are at age 30. You might you might evolve and things might change and who you care about might change and things like that, but ultimately by 30, you're you're a semi-finished product, I think.
2: I, I think that's I, I think that's right. And look, there's there's plenty to criticize with her. If you're gonna criticize this record, you'd say, hey she seems to be kind of at the edge of the forest of what can be done in this format. Like, there's Bressie Taylor singing airy high register notes that, that sound a hell of a lot like songs from Reputation. In fact, there's like three songs on this album that are almost carbon copies of what's on Reputation. There's this tune called Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. It's exactly like the song so it goes from Reputation. It's literally the same key. There's a song Afterglow that's a total carbon copy of Dress. London Boy is like an analog of This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. And, and and so one argument is she's kind of running out of material or running out of things that she can sort of do musically. The other is and 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 why I sort of geeked out on this album in case you can't tell. It is that it kind of breadcrumbs her transition back to where she started. So there's songs that are almost mirror images of what was on Reputation, but then a huge chunk of this album is teasing at what the fan base has been talking about for a while, which is she's got to come back and do a stripped-down acoustic country record. And she brought in the Dixie Chicks to do a a song about her mother. There's a whole lot more acoustic guitar. You know, the, the guitar player for Reputation basically was like, you know, he was basically a backup dancer. He didn't really have a job on the last tour because there was no guitar. Guitar player is super fired up for the next Taylor Swift tour because he's actually got notes to play. Uh, And and, and so there's this, there's this sort of career evolution at this point where she seems to be hinting at where she's going to go. When you couple that with this whole Scooter Braun drama, where she now has declared she's going to re-record her catalog, which means 30-year-old Taylor, and probably because she can't release it for a couple years, 32, 33-year-old, you know, possibly married, uh, you know, mother Taylor Swift is going to be re-recording songs from when she was 13. Uh, You know, she's going to have to tap back into some of that me and, and acoustic guitar in front of a small club at the Bluebird in Nashville kind of stuff and and what's cool about this album is she's breadcrumbing that that journey.
0: The headline we're taping this on a f- late Friday afternoon the headline on the ringer.com Rob Hervilla wrote about it was Taylor Swift is back in control over her music and her narrative. Why why do you think she lost control other than the whole grow up with that childhood thing?
2: Cuz I don't know that she knows who she is. Yeah. Like you said. I, I don't know that she knows who she is. And and she knows sort of some things that she believes in. Um, but, but you know, I think it's impossible to be a normal human being when millions of people worship you like a god at 13 years old. You don't know really how to relate to other human beings. And, you know, Taylor has always been the CMO, like all the great ones, right? Sean Carter is the CMO of Jay-Z, and Bono is the CMO of U2, and Madonna you know, is the CMO of her brand. Like the great ones all manage their brands. Not all those people had to do that at 13 years old. And not, not even not even our, our greatest athletes start having to do that. LeBron's probably the closest analog, right?
0: I mean he's and definitely he's just, a child star.
2: Yeah. But it sends but but he did not have millions of people coming to see him at 16 years old. No, and worshiping him,
0: but he had games on you know? ESPN, and he was on Sports Illustrated. He he's another one you mentioned. Child prodigies or child stars that how rare it is for them to turn out okay. I, I think LeBron has to get thrown in there when you're he driving, when you're driving a Hummer and you're on SI and you're on ESPN two and you're being called the chosen one when you're seventeen. Um, t- the first song in this album is called "I Forgot That You Existed," which I thought was really good and it seems like it's on the surface. It's about somebody she dated. And now she's like, I've not only have I moved on, I forgot you existed. Go to hell. Um, I wonder if that is actually not about somebody else. It's like, Uh, it may be one of those tricks.
2: You're it, it may well be about herself. The thing that struck me about it, it was like a, like all of the like anxiety that I had about listening to the record. I was like oh this is gonna suck because i just wasn't into the singles but like it disappeared when i heard that tune because i was like oh my god she's actually having fun and there's some songs on this record that are meaningful and that are lyrically intelligent and aren't just sort of you know pop schlock that are fun i forgot that you existed it's fun paper rings super fun it, it almost sounds like uh you know, you're the one that I want from Greece, right? Yeah. There's a bunch of those, of those things threaded through here. And you can hear the influences. I mean, the best song on the record for me, I think, I I think without, uh, I, I mean, look, Death by a Thousand Cuts, I think is the best song on the record for me. And if, I think if you analyze it mathematically and musically, it's a hell of a lot like the, the penultimate tune from Hamilton, It's Quiet Uptown which I think is why I love it. Like, she's talking about her country. Like, musically, it's the same. So you can hear a lot of threads of her influence in that. But, like, finally, you know, every year the, the, the paparazzi covers her, like, girl party at her beach house in Rhode Island. And finally, some of these tunes sound like what she's putting on the speakers and getting on the table with her friends and dancing to instead of, like, the manifestation of her anger at Taylor Swift or at uh, Kanye West.
0: Yeah, maybe she's finally over it. How many years ago was that? Too many. Yeah. It's funny. We, your daughter's a year older than mine. Living through the arc of a musician, what they mean to somebody who's like under the age of 16, right? Where you have both right. both, both of us have had it, especially when you're driving your kids around. Um, they They go on these runs with different artists. And I remember five years ago, Taylor was definitely – you know, one of the OGs of the car rides and the whole thing. Absolutely. And then suddenly stopped being in the mix about, I would say, a year ago for my daughter, which I thought was, I thought it was going to be a decade-long run. I'll be interested to see if she can bring back people because usually when kids move on, they just move on. So I, I just never had the experience before of like, is my daughter going to be listening to this album constantly? Is she going to be back in? I've never seen her go back in with somebody.
2: Well, and Har- Harville made the good point today, which is the last two albums, the singles that they've released have been the worst songs on the record. And yeah. and like the the back half of Reputation is great. But the intro stuff was just off-putting. Yeah, I played it for my daughter. Actually, like you Instagrammed a video of your daughter hearing it for the first time and she ran back up the stairs and was like, no, <laughs> right. not even close, right? Yeah, I forgot about and, that. And there's, some, and there's some things on this record that are like, more like 30 year old Like, Taylor really wants us to know that she drinks. Like, almost every song, she's like, I'm drinking. It's like, Miley really wants us to know she smokes weed. Taylor definitely wants us to know that she drinks. She wants yeah. us to know she's in the back seat a lot. She wants us to know she travels, right? I, I don't know. She, 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 she has these abnormal interactions with society. Like, all she does is ride around in the back. Not all she does, but she, when's the last time she drove a car, right? A bunch of these songs are snapshots that she sees out the backseat of a, of a, you know, Cadillac Escalade as She goes from one place to the next. It's not super relatable to a 16 year old girl, but I put the album on this morning for my eldest as I drove her to the bus stop and she was like, Whoa, it's yeah. good. Yeah. And, and, and this is album number seven for her. I mean, the start of this podcast, I assume you played Pearl Jam. Right. right. You and I both grew up like ready to run through walls and lighting ourselves on fire for that band. If we're really, really honest, the first two albums, Canon and Versus, were absolute fire, game changing, you know, stay with us for life. After that, is there an album you got to play every time? I don't know. I've been to a show with you. If they show up and don't play one of the songs from the first two records, we'd go home pissed and demanding a refund.
0: Well, I think rock Taylor
2: rock, Swift could. Yeah. It, maybe it's different, but ta- go ahead.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say rock. Usually it's the first couple that are always the, you know, those are always the ones but that even, are going to stand out. But
2: even Madonna or, or you th- like, I just, Taylor could play a show in a stadium. And by the way, this is not a stadium album. I hope she plays arenas. The, the, the chatter is she's going to play stadiums, but this is a better arena record. But but yeah. she could play a show in a stadium and not play a song from the first two albums, and go home with everybody feeling like she threw a full-on right hook. Yeah. Every tune she played.
0: Well, the, what a victory lap for you! Because as Taylor, as Taylor stock was dropping, you were just buying it up left and right. You were you were an, <laughs> you were on offshore websites. Oh, I'll, I'll grab some more. You just were banking it. You you were you were resolute that this was this was going to happen.
2: I knew it was going to come back. I was buying Apple stock before Steve Jobs came back in. Buying Taylor stock before she came back. There was never a doubt.
0: I mean, the last piece of this now is for Trump to do a a shitty tweet about one of the songs. Maybe she'll try to provoke him. You think so?
2: He's he's motherfucked everybody else today. Hopefully, you know, he he dropped the market 500 points today. He, He can hit Taylor and drop it another 500 on Monday. We'll see.
0: Can I get your take really quickly on the Jay-Z NFL thing before we go?
2: Look, it's not my place to judge, right? I'm not really in a position where I can judge. I, I, I think he is one of the most incredible brand managers and business people of our time. And I know that your DMs and texts are busier than mine with athletes and activists whose eyebrows have jumped off the top of their head out of surprise that it happened, and I think the question is did he get concessions did, you know it, it, i I understand his his point, which is hey it's time for action, and this gives me a platform to do it and i think uh I think he has certainly earned the right to to see how it goes but it, listen i'm I'm not in a position I, I'm in a position of privilege so it's not my place to judge
0: i'm in the I'm in the camp of He's earned the right to at least, let's see how this goes. Yeah. Cause he's also done a lot of good things over the years. And, uh, and for the most part, I think has made good decisions. I don't, I'm still not a huge fan of, uh, <laughs> the, the
2: whole behind the paywall music thing he created, but, um, Yeah, that's not working so well, No, but, but uh, everyone's entitled to their, to their little mistakes. Listen, I, I think all, you're we've right. We've all which done, is...
0: made mistakes.
2: Yeah, there's what's happening now is, I mean, there is a lot of muffled dissent because I think uh, there's a lot that's even though there's a lot that's leaking out, there's a whole lot of ducks feet moving underneath the surface questioning this. But I I think the man, you know, uh, walk, talk and, and let's see how let's see what he does.
0: It could go one of two ways. Either he has a master plan and we haven't seen it yet. Or he's just hit that stage that people hit when they become old and rich, and they've been around for too many years, and they kind of lose touch with maybe what the what the right idea is sometimes, which we've seen over and over again with uh, with musicians and actors and whoever that have just been famous for an incredibly long amount of time, and they start swinging well, medicine. So I don't I don't know how it plays yeah. out, but I think I do feel like he's earned the benefit of the doubt a little bit.
2: I agree, but to bring it back to Taylor who is now accelerating into her own activism and and seems to be willing to ruffle the feathers. Yeah. There's a there's a she's got the tune the last tune is called on the album is called Daylight and it finishes with her saying you are what you love. Uh and you know, look for millions of her fans right now that seems to be enough. So we'll see. We'll see whether or not it'll be an interesting dichotomy to see how those two individuals affect the state of their world, given the platforms that they have at this moment.
0: Uh, Any thoughts on the, on the battle of Inglewood or you you abstain? I need to,
2: I need to abstain from that. Any thoughts on a um, lot of reasons,
0: any thoughts on, will it be easier for me to go to Clippers games this year at the Staples center? Or do I have to stand in a line for 37 minutes as they take forever to get everybody through?
2: Uh, it, it, it should be easier. Uh, It will be a lot easier, I think, if Mr. Bomber builds the the, uh, arena of his choosing. The bigger question is, when are you getting back on the golf course? Because I figured out the driver.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) That's all I needed to know.
2: I got a lesson. I got a lesson from the brother. He's back on tour. I know what to do. Let's get you out there. Come on. I'm ready to sing my own praises.
0: All right. Well, congrats on your Taylor Swift victory lap. We're all very proud of you. Uh (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Wait, what's your Twitter? People can follow you on Twitter because I know. I know at some point this weekend, you're probably going to have some 15 tweet rant as you're under like your third glass of wine and you get all emotional <laughs> about Taylor. And then it's like, oh, I have
2: some more thoughts. We're recording this at 4.30 in the afternoon. I'm already emotional about Taylor. So uh, <laughs> yes, at Nathan C. Hubbard, let's do this. All right. Thanks for coming on.
0: All right, thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to Hotel Tonight. They show you incredible deals at cool hotels you'll actually want to stay at, score an extra amazing deal with Hotel Tonight's daily drop feature. Unlock a special deal at a hotel selected just for you. Snag it within 15 minutes. And if you want to swipe again, you can unlock a new deal every day. Go to HotelTonight.com or download the app to unlock your daily drop. And thanks to LaCroix the unofficial slash official drink of the Simmons family. Uh, LaCroix sparkling water is the innocent alternative for health-conscious consumers everywhere. Zero calories, zero sweeteners, zero sodium. All of their flavors, including the newly introduced hibiscus, are derived from natural sources with natural fruit essences. Each product is Whole30 non-GMO and produced without a BPA liner. You can join the LaCroix community on social, at LaCroix water, or... For more information and a full list of retailers, visit LaCroixWater.com. Or you could go into my garbage on Thursday nights and see the the 10,000 LaCroix cans in the in the blue uh, bin. You can do that as well. All right. We have two more pods coming up, including the return, the cuz, over-unders. It's happening. So, until then. I want to see them on a